What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Meaning of Podcast. I am Ace. This is RB3. And this is the podcast where we get into the deeper meaning of your favorite directors and all their films, for the most part, maybe. Most of their films. Either way, guys, this week we're doing probably the most famous director working in Hollywood today. It's debatable, but I would consider it, considering he is a very popular director, and everyone always goes out to see his movies. If you're a film fan, you know who he is. His name is Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through his movies, but I also want to talk about a little bit of a broader picture when it comes to Tarantino, especially now in 2018, when you guys are watching this video. But last week, we did Alejandro González Iñárritu, um, which got us six comments on YouTube. <laughs> and we're going to pick out two of those and read them out loud. Uh, great six comments, though. Great yeah, six yeah. comments, man. Uh, Neil Varma says, Babel is underrated. Hmm. Um, I agree. Gunslinger199 says, Birdman is a masterpiece. The Revenant is a better shot version of the Bear Grylls show. Yikes. That's <laughs> kind of what you said that. last week, though. You said it's just a really well shot nature movie. Yeah, it's good. It's a good, good you know, cinematography, you know? I'm not going to crap on it, but I just don't. Throwing shade, RB3, throwing shade already. Uh, Lou Bloom says, hey, shout out to Lou Bloom, man. We haven't seen him in a minute. Uh, says, this will be good. Can't wait to hear your probably different opinions on him. Uh, I loathe Iñarito, but that's maybe because I haven't watched any of his movies in a temple. Interesting. <laughs> in a temple? Hey, man, I watch <laughs> movies in a temple, too. <laughs> in a temple? Yeah, I think he means, like... You you know what he means, right? <laughs> Please explain explain that to me. This, this is, is what in a temple means, RB3. <laughs> Come on. What are the kids learning these days? Um No, I think he means like in a in a settled environment, maybe. Oh, okay. Where it's not Oh, in a theater or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Or okay, like okay. in a settled environment where he can just watch it and, okay. and no distractions. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. I mean I don't know. I, I or guess perhaps I... he means like in a temple in a sense of like without the hype without any noise outside of it mm. without people saying oh it's so amazing like maybe that's what he means yeah yeah i just thought he meant like a literal church <laughs> watch him answer next week he's like no bro i meant in my temple <laughs> it's right outside my house i go there every sunday watch all my movies there <laughs> yeah sorry Lou, I'm, I'm, I'm smart but i'm not that smart yeah uh, it's still funny though that just she cracked me up uh, Raul Alejandro Mendoza oh says, "Listen to this pod. Uh, listen to this on podcast. Good job on the pronunciation, by the way. Yeah, listen to this on podcast. And I really just want to say thank you for covering his work. Beautiful is my favorite movie of all time, and it never fails to leave me in tears. Iñárritu is truly one of the best right now, and it sucks that his VR project Carne y Arena isn't available to purchase because it's his most ambitious work in terms of technicality with VR technology. That's the one I was talking about last week that I wanted right. to do." Um, keep up the awesome work. Thank you for this episode. I've been looking forward to it since y'all started this podcast. Thank you, Raul. Thank you. Um, Raul. Yeah. You, I, 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 you know, Raul, thank you for saying that because we have been going out of our way to do different directors, directors of color. We you know, never know. Directors. Every time we pick one, and it's always just like a throw a it's my fault. We should t definitely be way more organized. But every time we pick one, I'm like, <laughs> who should we do? <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely picking ones that we're more interested in. And we're not necessarily thinking of 
people more interested in, which is a, obviously not a good thing to do. But that's why this week we're making up for it. <laughs> right, man. Well, I think <laughs> by we, picking a very popular director. Well, I think we have a pretty great catalog of directors that we've picked. I think uh, so too, man. Yeah, I think in the legacy play, forty-one episodes in. I mean, it's episode forty-two. We're gonna turn. I was gonna talk to you about it off camera, but I might as well do it now. I kind of want to get into maybe getting another another mic and getting in guests here. Oh man, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd we be fun. Get Cody Hall in here. Get Cody Hall. I mean, he he gave you a shout out on Twitter and said yeah. that you know you're a celebrity and he wants to be on your podcast. Yeah, you gotta uh, come on this one. And I think he means the meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did he mean me too? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> me too. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like we should start getting guests, and I think it'll be our, the next chapter in the meaning of podcast yeah and uh it would be fun because then they could kind of pick their director they want to talk about yeah we could have jt in here to talk about stallone or something you know i don't know sure i was gonna say it was jt's favorite oh i think he loves uh john john woo like john woo that's right yeah i think he's talked multiple times about that's one of his favorite either way i think it'd be a lot of fun even even friends of yours because i'm sure you have a lot of film school friends yeah yeah even friends of mine because i know a lot of people who used to work with me in the industry mm-hmm. um not famous people but just people mm-hmm. <laughs> who have knowledge on film have uh thoughts on different directors so i think it'd be a lot of fun to do that so right, right, right. you never know guys maybe that's the next chapter maybe that's what's going to get people in <laughs> right, <laughs> to right. start actually watching and listening to these podcasts but that today is not that day because today we're doing quentin tarantino qt uh and right off the bat you're wearing the pulp fiction shirt and i want to say you i, I I know this because I think you are a much bigger fan of Quentin Tarantino than I am. Oh, really? But I think you're, it's safe to say you're a fan, right? Oh, yeah. I'm like a diehard, you know? Okay, I mean, you're like, a diehard already. Yeah, That's yeah. way more than me. Yeah, uh, Tarantino. And I'm, I'm interested to dive into his films, of course, because his films always have something to say. And that's the point of this podcast. But out of all the directors we've talked about, I really do feel like this director, Quentin Tarantino, is probably the biggest, not in terms of necessarily popularity, but in terms of his persona, his brand, his personality, his staple in Hollywood in general. Mm. I think he is, out of everyone we've done, I really do feel that way. I feel like it's maybe except for Spielberg, but I think like he is the one who's very much like you watch his films, but you also watch what he has to say in interviews and stuff because he's always got something to say Mm -hmm. and he's got an enormous, huge personality to the point that it's like it's hard to ignore every time. I don't know if you agree with that, but I feel like especially watching I watched Full Tilt Boogie. Have you seen that? Um, I have not. No, it's the documentary of From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, okay. Um, and you definitely get to see because Tarantino is one of the stars of that movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he's also the writer of From Dust Till Dawn. He right. wrote that screenplay. Right. Uh, obviously, it's directed by Robert um, Rodriguez, yeah. and it's starring George Clooney as well. But at the same time, it's a behind-the-scenes documentary, so you mm-hmm. get to see a lot of his personality. Mm-hmm. And it's a '90s movie, so it's very much like of the time, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting to see like Quentin Tarantino because you're like oh no this guy's crazy (laughs) like you watch you you watch him in interviews and stuff and you're like oh this guy's bananas I mean he's a genius obviously but at the same time you can like all right (laughs) he's slightly not quite has his feet on the ground he's slightly floating above the ground he's not quite like in the clouds as far as where his head is but he's like floating above the ground (laughs) as far as like who he is and his personality and how he considers himself because he's definitely 
a enormous he has, personality. He has, he has a big ego, I think. And I mean, listen, it, it, for some people, that's justifiable, you know? I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, extent, sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. We really think about it. Tarantino is probably one of the, if you were to put together a Mount Rushmore directors, he you might put be him the he, well. He might be one of the only ones from like this generation who could like, uh, have a serious conversation about it. You know what I mean? Sure. As much as we love people like PTA or like, would you even or, consider him part of this generation? I mean, part of I feel like part because of, I feel like he comes from. And this is my opinion. I feel like he comes from a different time, and we'll talk about that later on. But I feel like he's he's not quite this generation, but he's not quite the older generation either. He's somewhere like this weird middle. Of the '90s, hyper, crazy, hyper violent, hyper who gives a shit type of way of doing filmmaking, it's a very much like a old school indie type filmmaking, where it's like we're doing it for love and we don't care and we're just gonna keep doing it and keep shooting even if it's like way over time and you're not paying enough for for these uh, for your crew members. But I don't know. This well, is I, my opinion. Well, I mean, I think he, I think for me at least, I think Tarantino is the one who kicked this off into this generation. Okay. At least like, and, and, and I say that in the sense that when Reservoir Dogs premiered at Sundance in 1970, 1992, excuse me, um, that movie, uh, before that Sundance was kind of whatever, you know what I mean? Only big movie to play at Sundance before Reservoir Dogs was Sex Lies and Videotapes, which was Steven Soderbergh in 1989. But uh, I think Reservoir Dogs really put that on the map, and I think it really um, hyperventilated the independent scene, which was around in like the late 60s, early 70s. But then, of course, filmmaking started to become more conglomerized, but he kind of kicked down the door for allowing more opportunities to kind of make it. So I think him and Kevin Smith with, you know, with, with Quintantino with Reservoir Dogs and Kevin Smith with Clerks, those are kind of the movies that show people like, oh, anybody can make a movie, essentially. Sure. Um, and they, and I think that that impact was just felt throughout Hollywood and just continues to spread, you know, throughout this day. Let's talk about it. Um, what is your what is your relationship with Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the first Tarantino movie I sure. saw, but to me, it's one of to me is his one of his best by far, one of his best. Maybe not by far, but uh, is is probably up there in the top three Tarantino movies for me. And I mean, that's impressive for somebody to do their first film and have their first film be so fully realized that many people still consider it one of their their tops. And you know, and honestly, like when you really think about it, you know, for a debut film for their for somebody's first film, you don't really see many debuts as heavy as something like Reservoir Dogs, as something is so critically acclaimed and highly regarded and generationally impactful you know really maybe citizen kane is the only other one orson welles first movie um and of course tarantino's there's later tarantino movies that are better but this is the one that kicks him off initially and you're just like wow this is this is somebody who's gonna so in terms of debut films probably one of the best debuts of all time i I was gonna say that i mean it's definitely we always talk about like what movie put the director on the map. Usually, it's like the third movie they do, mm. um, as far as like popularity, as far as everyone knowing the name, as far as everyone going out to watch their next movie. Mm. But in a rare occasion, we have something like a Tarantino where his debut film made him a star, like mm. just like that. He's already like a popular director. He's famous now because of Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Versus other directors, we talk about when their debut film was really good and really small. And, and, and got more studios into them. But this right. one got audiences into 
the next Tarantino movie that we're going to talk about, obviously. But what do you what do you feel like is the deciding factor that made Reservoir Dogs such a classic right off the bat? Is it you know the is it the story, the dialogue, the characters? Is it a combination of all of it? Yeah. What do you feel it is? I mean, I think it's a combination of all of it. I mean, it was just something new. You know what I mean? And you know, when you really watch that movie in the context of what was coming out during that time, you know, the 80s, like all these Spielberg kind of movies, coming of age movies were popular and all that kind of stuff. It was something so like radically the, different. The Amblin type movies? Yeah, the Amblin type movies still happened in the 80s. But there's still like more adult movies happening too, you know. But this was something, like you said, it was violent, it was edgy, but it was super low budget. And, you know, they kind of set, this was one of the, this is one of the first movies that I can think off the bat uh, when I think of movies that are set in like a singular location, primarily, because uh, movies pretty much all set in the warehouse except for the scenes that go outside the warehouse. But you know, it, it had that idea, and it also had the non-linear storytelling uh, that was kind of new at the time—not new, but we haven't seen a lot in independent film at that time. Um, so all of that just com- combined, it was just different. It was fresh, and I think it really helped that. Uh, it was just this overall coolness to it, and it was it was a mixture of genres that a lot of people hadn't seen before. It was the crime movie mixed with the buddy. It was the crime. It was the crime. It was a crime movie mixed with the buddy comedy mixed with you know all these different the the old gangster movies you know all of these different subgenres just all kind of come coalescing and making something really satisfying to people. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino is obsessed with old movies. He's obsessed with, like, old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. like, And he's obsessed with, like, different types of genres within mm-hmm. the old types of movies. That, Like, obviously, we're going to talk about other movies in the future where he literally does story structure in a way that's so throwback to the point that no one even remembers that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he always tries different things. and uh, it, But it's always something that it's inspired for it in the past, usually. I don't know if you agree with that. But right. he usually, like, dives into the past and brings it to the future kind of thing. Like, it's whether it's a style of filmmaking, whether it's the way he tells the story, like, whatever it may be, whether it's, like, the acting, even that is, like, very specific to the type of movie that you're watching mm-hmm. um, in a Tarantino film. Because in some movies, it's super over-the-top acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in other movies, there, there's it's much more quiet. And there's moments of over-the-topness, but it's usually held in a you know, much more serious way mm-hmm. um, instead of like a hyper reality kind of way. Mm-hmm. But it, this other movies are much more grounded. Um, yeah. Then the hyper reality, I think that that adds to it too, because, you know, when you look at something like Reservoir Dogs, a lot of people say it's kind of the, the ripoff of the movie, the Hong Kong movie City on Fire, right? Which is um, another gangster movie also has a similar kind of premise, you know, the, the, the robbery gone wrong and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you, but you look, you look at that, and you see the influence from Hong Kong cinema, which is which is very hyper, hyper, uh, hyperactive, you know, uh, overexpressive, you know, and he kind of adopts that and puts that into this movie where he heightens the characters up to like a certain extent. So I think that's definitely present there. And and one thing that Tarantino is known for is reusing his cast, his actors over and over again. The, obviously, the first one is Harvey Keitel. Yeah, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Sorry. Uh, and I mean, obviously, this movie is stacked with names that you see yeah, all Tom, the time. Tom Roof, Tom, Tom, uh, how, 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 Tim, Tim, Tim Roof, Tim Roof, Tim, Tim Roth. I'm sorry, Tom. Jesus, man, I'm really messing up his name here. Sorry, Tim Roth, if you're, if you're watching I just, this. <laughs> Tim Roof. 
Ruthenator. <laughs> it's just like you're making up names at this point. Uh, Michael, um, Michael Masson. And obviously the one to me that, that stands out quite a bit is uh, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Um, but uh, as far as like working with the cast, obviously everyone gives a great performance, but who do you feel like is the standout in this movie? In this movie? Oh, man, I just always love Steve Buscemi like, right? in anything, man. Like he always... I mean, he just has that, like, screamish quality that's, like, really hilarious, but also very relatable. Yeah. And I think he pulls it out perfectly here. Um, I also, I mean, I love Keitel in this movie, too. Because I was going to say, that guy is, like, he's, he's acting an, his ass he's an off actor, actor. Yeah. He's, like, a kind of guy where he, like, gets in the mode and stuff. Like, even watching the behind the scenes of From Dust Till Dawn, mm-hmm. they interviewed him. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's in, like, one scene in the beginning, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just talking about, like, why he got into acting and what he why he does what he does. And he's mm-hmm. just so into it to the yeah. point that I'm like, just chill, man, chill. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, bro. He's, he's into acting. Like, he takes it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in this movie, too. Right. No, absolutely. And and the way he the way his character kind of has to navigate the 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 aggression, the anger that comes from being the the you know, de facto leader of this group while also like the sadness and trying to take care of like a dying uh Tim Roth character is also like he he goes a lot of different levels that I feel like a lot of characters in this movie play into one particular type and they roll with that really well, but his character I feel like has the most of everybody in, in it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and for one thing, too, I want to talk about two different things before we move on. The first thing is I I personally feel like even if it's a, a movie that's not as popular, a Tarantino movie, he always kind of has something that he's telling you and you can clearly see it. Mm. What do you feel like is the overlying factor that keeps coming up in this movie that you can tell that this was the point of this movie? Yeah, I mean... Specifically I mean, with the ending too, because Tarantino's endings are always yeah yeah yeah. There's always something there to the endings. Because personally, when I watch Tarantino movies, I'm like, how is this going to end? Mm-hmm, I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, but what do you feel that that is for was uh, Reservoir Dogs? Um, I mean, for me, it's just like the idea of deception and not trusting even your closest, you know, um, comrades. And and um, to me, I really look at it as almost like a self, almost like a self-reflexive kind of thing too. Of at least self-reflectors in the term of filmmaking, in terms of filmmaking, because the whole point of filmmaking is to deceive the audience for as long as possible until you know you reveal some information that going to throw them off. With this movie, it's always interesting because the audience always finds out things before the characters do. Um, so, and I think that's a big part of what Tarantino's filmmaking is. Even when you look on a micro level of his dialogue, a lot of times, um, what what he says in his dialogue, what a lot of times in his di- why his dialogue comes off as so repetitive, is because a lot of times he's building anticipation within the dialogue. Like a lot of times, you know, with, with this movie, for example, it's like you haven't, you know, when characters say stuff like stuff like you haven't met so and so or this and this, like that's adding anticipation to what's going to come next. And I think Tarantino is really good at uh, building that anticipation until it builds off into something really great. Um, so. I mean, that's where I feel like Reservoir Dogs does that really well, is that he uses, he takes the nonlinear structure to his advantage and does that, and also keeps, puts a perspective from the actor's perspective of that too, right? Like, with the Tim Roth character, when he's uh, going, about to go undercover, and he's like, kind of rehearsing to himself, like an actor would, you know what I mean? Like, kind of going over lines, and like, kind of keep practicing. I feel like, overall, that's, 
he it's almost like a self-reflective like kind of look onto the making of movies sure within like, like a this, meta yeah meta meta yeah you know, maybe that's just my meta analysis of it but I mean that's just something that I take I've always taken away from that too so yeah and 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 obviously you got into it a little bit but I feel like that's kind of besides his dialogue that's kind of what Tarantino is known for mm-hmm. besides the violence too mm-hmm. is building tension right I feel like he's a master at building tension and he does that in pretty much every single one of his movies mm-hmm. uh, including his next one RB3 that's my transition mm-hmm. uh, Pulp Fiction which we're wearing a shirt of right now yeah Pulp Fiction now this movie also plays with time mm-hmm. this movie plays with different characters and different stories um, which is something we've seen a lot <laughs> we just talked about it last week with Babel um, and with different types of Alejandro movies and Tarantino does it very much so to everyone's surprise in this movie, which is Pulp Fiction, which is another one that I don't know if it premiered at Sundance. You might, I might be wrong. It, I know for sure when the Palme d'Or at Cannes. That's what it is. Yeah, it won the the Palme d'Or. <laughs> we to, shout out to France winning the World Cup. Hey, uh, which my my French pronunciation of things is usually just going, and it works every time, man. Palme d'Or. Um, but yes, yeah, so this movie right off the bat was critically acclaimed mm-hmm. and popular, and a lot of people wanted it to win the Oscar, but I don't think it did, right? No, that was the same year as Forrest Gump. So That's Forrest right. Gump won the Oscar. That's right. Um, yeah, 1994 was also the year that Shawshank Redemption came out, too. That was also nominated for Best Picture that Dang, year. Dang, dude. Yeah. That's a crazy year. It's a crazy year, man. 19, yeah. I don't know what's happened in 1994. Everybody was just off on juice, you know, like making great movies. Yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like, well, that's the 90s for you, too. Yeah. Like, the 90s were crazy, bro. Like, yeah. I'm telling you, watching that documentary, I'll talk about it a little bit more, but it's so funny how, like, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> Things were different back then. But, uh, but when it comes to this movie... A lot of people still say it's his best movie. I don't know if you would you agree with that. To me, to me, it is. Okay. And to me, um, it's probably the most thoughtful out of all of his movies in the sense that it, it really gives you um, a, a lot of moments of hesitation, a pause between uh, between the suspense and the violence and the killing. And I think it all builds to that moment towards the end where um, Samuel Jackson character, um, what's his name, Jules. Jules. Jules and Vincent? Yeah, Jules and Vincent. Vincent's okay. uh, John Travolta. Yeah. Um, to me, uh, when he gives that whole monologue at the end, that kind of encompasses the entire theme of this movie. Like, is it better to just kill needlessly or is it better to be thoughtful and rational and, 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 and um, work within your own moral parameters and, and stuff like that? It was very... So I feel like this movie honed in on something really thoughtful and, and really meditative about... No, ironically about the notion of killing it and being a gangster and violence and all that stuff, um, but I, I don't know that that to me is and it, and it shows when characters do bad things they're gonna have a lot of bad consequences uh, put upon them for their actions you know uh, like we see uh, um, Vincent John Travolta doing all these random killings and not random but like he accidentally shoots the guy in the back of the car you know what I mean like and then. Uh, but then he ultimately ends up paying a, a certain price for it too, and and so that the people who, uh, and so does Bruce Willis. He's not a classy character, but he ends up paying some sort of price. But he ultimately ends up getting some redemption too. So I feel like 
the 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 arc of this movie kind of the the meditation and the redemption aspect of it and the people who don't get redeemed having to face some sort of consequences for that as well just all really fascinated me yeah and it's it's very interesting because you can kind of pick and choose what your favorite storyline in this movie is Mm -hmm. i mean everyone kind of just goes with samuel jackson's and 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 john travolta's storyline because that's the one that stands out the most i mean personally to me uh and it's also because this is Quentin Tarantino working with Samuel Jackson, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something that that we see all the time now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Do you feel like this movie? I don't want to say typecast, but typecasted Samuel Jackson kind of. We gave him, I think, the personality that we recognize him for now. This sure, was because definitely... he's in Goodfellas too, but he's yeah, in it for like, like five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah, or something. yeah, barely. And he's in other things too. Of course, like Jurassic Park sure. also came out in '94. But, like, or 93. Jurassic Park came out in 93. 93. Yeah, yeah. But this, no. I feel like this, this one, was, this was the cast, one. like, that's Samuel Jackson this was doing the, Samuel this Jackson. This was the motherfucking, 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 motherfucking. That that's was, what that, I'm that saying. That was the Samuel Jackson that now came you, from this. When you see Samuel Jackson, you expect that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you feel like it typecasted him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it definitely set a track. But, I mean, that's the role that Sam Jackson's, like, always been perfect at playing. Like, <laughs> I'm never not going to say. I was going to say, Sam Jackson works his ass off, bro. Yeah, yeah, He's always yeah. on set shooting something yeah yeah he's always on set and he's always and i don't think i've really seen a, i mean there's plenty of bad samuel jackson movies but i haven't seen there them do bad and 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 any of them so oh you're saying like his performances his performances bad. aren't, aren't usually never bad in them um so i just feel like that i mean and you know salute to quentin for pulling that out of him i know um originally samuel jackson had auditioned for reservoir dogs um but didn't get the part but quentin uh you know called him back for for something like this um and you know, as we see from that point on, Samuel Jackson is in almost every one of, or I think every one of his movies. I think so. Yeah, you're right. Well, I don't know about that. Almost every one. Yeah, I don't think that. Almost proof. every one of his movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, to me, I think it's funny at this point because he's known for kind of either giving careers to different actors or re- reviving careers for yeah. different actors. Too. Especially for Travolta. Travolta is, yeah. is another one in this movie that I feel like uh, Tarantino kind of revived his career mm-hmm. in a way that kind of proves that he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Something that people were questioning back in the day. And <laughs> and uh, obviously as well, the biggest one to me is... is uh, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Yeah. Oh my God, I almost forgot her name. Malia, uh, is Mia Wallace. Yes. Yes, yeah. he's Mia Wallace. Uh, but for me, it's it's... That kind of kickstarted the the relationship that he had with Uma Thurman. With obvi- obviously, right now in retrospect, it's kind of funny thinking about it. Um, the kind of stuff that Quentin was known for on set. Yeah. But for anyone who doesn't know, Quentin on set is a maniac. <laughs> yeah. Like he's crazy, um, and he's known for being extremely. Um, I don't want to say quick tempered, but quick tempered. Um, and kind of just sporadic and just going crazy and doing his own yeah, thing. He's going to tell you how he, how he feels, I feel like. At least uh, based on the stories that you can recollect from a lot of actors talking about him. I mean, we're going to talk about Django later, but there's an amazing story with, like uh, Jamie Django Fox. and Jamie Foxx. Yeah, I heard yeah, this story. Yeah. That interview, it's great. Um, it's great. I, I forget what it was. I, I don't know if it was Jimmy Kimmel. Or, it was like Howard Stern or something or like that. Howard Stern. Was, something. Yeah. But, uh, oh yeah, you're right. It was Howard Stern. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. He was talking about how Tarantino was like demanding <laughs> yeah. Yeah. demanding him to like play a slave and not be like, hey, trying to make it too cool. Yeah. Which is funny because 
Like it's weird that a, a, a white director is like yelling at this black dude. About oh, we're going to talk about that later, bro. Uh, <laughs> I have it in my notes right here next uh, to me. Notes, all right. Um, yeah, I have some notes. Not many notes, but I have a few notes, mm-hmm. and that's one of my notes. Um, we'll talk about that later, obviously. But yeah, for me, this movie shows, and obviously uh, Tim Roth as well. And then right off the bat, I feel like the thing that really puts this movie over the edge, over the top, as a classic is what Tarantino is always known for nowadays, the dialogue. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is crazy in this movie. It moves at a pace that's insane. And everyone kind of knows, it's almost kind of poetic in a way, how mm-hmm. crazy the dialogue is. And obviously, hyper-realistic type dialogue that Tarantino is known for. But it's dialogue that pulls you in um, in different moments of the story. And it's almost the dialogue that's the running thread between every single character in this movie. Because even though they're all mm-hmm. separate... Um, it's the one thing that they all kind of have in common. I don't know if you agree with that, but I feel like it stands out quite a bit. And and it's funny because re-watching Tarantino movies over the week, which is what I did, I notice how he structures dialogue quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Like Mm -hmm. I started to catch on how he does it. And uh, the most famous one is Samuel Jackson's uh, scene uh, in the apartment of the guy. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When he quotes the Bible to him. Uh, that's the that's the perfect Ezekiel, example. Was it Ezekiel seven sixteen or something like that? You would know more than I. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but but by the way, it's not a real Bible verse. There you go. Yeah. Um. Uh, RB three the theologian. <laughs> theologian. <laughs> there we go, man. Um. But it's one of those things where it's like it became famous. Like mm-hmm. he became famous for his dialogue, and I don't know what's what's your moment that stands out too, as far as for, the for me is the for me is the hamburger, and for me is always. To me, what I always take away from it uh, was all the scenes with uh, Mia and John Travolta um, with Vincent. The, all those scenes they have together, like "Don't be a square." I mean, there there are some like really funny like visual cues that he puts in with the dialogue that are just like astonishing to me. <laughs> like, there's also something else in the diner scene that I mentioned, like something about all the Marilyn Monroe's, but it was like right when somebody else had like walked in. It was. Some he does like a lot of very funny visual tricks that are like sure. very subtle, um, which I think is just he's and he's known as being a perfectionist and he he's very meticulous and um, sometimes there's kind of kind of errors of course of all great movies but um, you know for him is very meticulous in how the actors speak and how the actors present his dialogue and also how. Um, his dialogue is presented visually. So. Sure, like mannerisms and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, yeah, he's known and, for controlling mannerisms. Right, 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 right. And what happens in the background and foreground. So a lot of stuff to me. But yeah, the dialogue in that, uh, like with the, the $5 milkshake, like you really going to buy $5? All that all that conversation to me just is just so funny and like hilarious, but also gives you a lot of insight onto who both of them are. Like Mia's very talkative and very adventurous and wants to, be the cool, you know, party chick while Vincent's very much like, oh, let me just do do the job and like get out of here, you know? Sure. So. That's that's another thing that you kind of reminded me of is is Quentin is known for his contrast, mm-hmm. shooting different scenes and putting them together with something that contrasts with the tone, mm-hmm. specifically with music and specifically with cut scenes to other scenes that are very different in tone, right. specifically in this movie with... Uh, when John Travolta is freaking out over Mia mm-hmm. and he's driving and mm-hmm. then it cuts to, to the other homie yeah, right. and, it, and he's just eating cereal super slow and chill. Yeah, like that's right. that's kind of the stuff he's known for with contracting different tones of the movie. <laughs> um, and he does that quite a bit with music nowadays in his, in his current films mm-hmm. um, where he puts like a horrifying scene and he puts like super 
music you don't suspect, like happy, fun music, mm -hmm. um, singing about happiness and well, you, it's something horrible going on. Even even in his older films, like even in Reservoir Dogs, like he, I mean the. A lot of people now can't think of like stuck in the middle of you. If I also thinking of somebody getting their ear cut off, you know, like <laughs> same thing here. I feel like there's a lot of iconic mixture, like the da -da 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 -da. I don't know the name of that song. I don't know most old music people, just so you guys know. Um, but like all, like all of all of the traditional, all of what we know from this soundtrack is through this is through the prism of this movie for a large part of the culturally. So super super fascinating how how just how how he's able to capture uh the music and and use that to antagonize what's happening on screen on, on a certain kind of way. and it's an actual uh, it's an actual art form for people who don't consider that to be it's hard to do that mm -hmm. <laughs> to do it well obviously because every, every there's a ton of directors that do that mm -hmm. but i feel like doing it well is difficult to do mm -hmm. contrasting scenes with tone and not pulling your audience out of the movie because mm -hmm. it can pull you out of a movie very quickly mm -hmm. but actually sucking your audience more into the movie and getting them more involved and almost kind of realizing how they're supposed to feel because that's what music does in movies it's it's telling you how to feel technically mm -hmm. so if you have a scene that's supposed to be very emotional but there's like dun, 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 you're not going to feel it right? right that's my criticism of Jurassic World that I told you about mm -hmm. Fallen Kingdom mm -hmm. was that they literally had scenes that were like intense and they had like dun, 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 dun. and I was just like why <laughs> why are you making dumb silly music you're telling me to feel this way that it's dumb and silly instead of me being you know involved with Chris Pratt running away from lava <laughs> which would kill him instantly um, but that's that's kind of the point I'm saying is that it's difficult to do that transition between music and scene and tone which in my opinion is the most important thing in a movie is tone because it's 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 telling you how to feel for these characters or whether or not to feel for these characters. Mm, mm. I don't I know if you have anything. <laughs> no. You're like, move on. <laughs> Let's move on. No, um, Pulp Fiction, excellent movie, and uh, like like we said, there's there's a lot. There's also a lot of themes of. I guess there's also a lot of themes of of, of drug addiction too, right? Sure. Like we we see with Mia, uh, with Mia, and with Vincent. I mean, they're True. both they're both super hooked on heroin. Uh, which just goes to show how idiotic heroin can make people act. So don't do heroin, kids. Please don't do heroin. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I had a please in front of that. Please don't do heroin. <laughs> so yeah, I don't um, know. This movie's, this movie's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And obviously there's so many classic moments in the movie. Like the dancing scene we didn't talk about, but that's a it's literally a classic moment in the mm -hmm. movie now. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously Bruce Willis is also someone who's... I think he was already... Yeah, he was already pretty popular. Yeah, he already had Die Hard and yeah, all stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I also love the idea of like the he takes I love how he takes all of these generic movie tropes like the bored wife, the the boxer who who has the the paid off boxer who has to take a die for the fight, you know these old school gangsters. He kind of takes all these old like nineteen forties, fifties, sixties movie archetypes and then expands them in like the most postmodernist way and like reevaluates like what those those characters will be doing in their personal lives, you know? Like sure. How these fucking super stern gangsters right. will be talking about. Like these guys are like Hitman and yeah. they're and they're in, in their real clothes. They're like silly, goofy, dad looking guys. Right, right. <laughs> it right. looks like a dad. Right, right. They're talking about cheeseburgers and foot massages, you know what I mean? Like oh. it's very it's very Tarantino's <laughs> fetish. Oh yeah, fuss, yeah. Ooh. Uh we'll get into bad. that later. But we're moving on to his next film, which is Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Now this is RB 
3's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I do really enjoy this movie. Yeah, I was going to say. super underrated. Uh, I, I mean, there's a different conversation when it comes to Django. But when it comes to Tarantino and obviously Pam Greer, who's, you know. An actress, living legend. A living legend, yeah. right? And I mean, Samuel Jackson is too. Um, but when it comes to putting African-American actors in the forefront, putting them as almost leads in the movie, putting them in a, in a, in a, in a position of power is almost something that Tarantino is known for now. Right, I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, am I, I think, am I taking I, am I taking it too far? No, no. I mean, I think a lot of the black community really appreciates what Tarantino does. Okay. Um, some people obviously take some objection to <laughs> the that's the word next, the word my, the word that rhymes with Tigger. But. What? That's my next word. I mean, yeah. that's my next thought <laughs> is the fact that it's literally in my notes. His relationship with the N word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is is definitely a huge criticism of him. The fact that he's known for. I mean, being very flexible with that word on his own tongue yeah. and not on an actor's tongue. Yeah, yeah. What is fiction? He was what is <laughs> what do you think of that? Uh, what I think, I mean, listen, like, I mean, it, it gets even more crazy with with Django and Chain, right? Django's, yeah, Django. But goes a little but nuts. I'm gonna start it now with Jackie Brown. Yeah, uh, even though yeah. I should have started it later in this conversation. I have yeah. different points going on in different films. Yeah. But the biggest one for me is. One of the criticisms of Tarantino is that is his liberty to just say the N word whenever he feels like it because he feels like, like you just said, the African American community has sort of embraced him. Yeah, but has embraced him to the point that he can just say that word. Yeah. And listen, I, <laughs> I mean, don't know. Listen, to be fair, like he's good about not saying it in interviews. You know sure. what I mean? He'll not say it in interviews. He'll he only won't say, it, say on... it where people can record him right, and then right. publicize it. Right, right, right. Now you just say it on, in his movies. You know, so you can just be like, hey, yeah, it's a movie. It's Art, you know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> and I, oh man, I sure hope he's not calling like Pam Greer the N-word. Oh my god, I can imagine that. But uh, I think he has a lot of favor in the black community because he gives parts to a lot of black actors and he surprisingly gives a lot of perspective to um, uh, African American characters that a lot of directors don't even think about. Um, you know, particularly with this movie with Jackie Brown. This is a movie that is based on the um, Elmore. Um, somebody, uh, Elmore, Elmore, uh, is based on a book, um, th- that originally the character is not, the lead character is not black. Uh, that, that was the change that Karen, that Tarantino made, um, while, you know, writing, writing the adaptation for the story. And this is Tarantino's only adaptation, by the way, his only adaptation. Uh, and, and. Yes. Uh, Kill Bill, wasn't it based on a comic or uh um i don't think it was based I, on anything. i forget what it, it's based it took on. a lot it took a lot from a lot of different things though and we're gonna talk about that i have an entire essay written on my phone about how much it takes from other things um but um this movie definitely uh but but jackie brown's is only like true official like adaptation sure you know and and it and it applies in that sense um because this is the only movie where characters aren't necessarily talking the tarantino as dialogue is more focused on the characters and, you know, and particularly with the character of Jackie Brown, how being a 44-year-old black woman is not the most favorable conditions and how that would lead to somebody like Jackie um, doing the, the crimes that she's doing because she's kind of out of options, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's, it's really fascinating that, for one, that perspective wasn't even in the original source material, but for two, 
uh, as fleshed out as much as it was because Jackie Brown's the most recent movie of his filmography that I have saw uh, that I've seen in prepa- in preparation for this. You, you rewatch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was and that was and that was a very prominent position in that movie. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this movie is another. It doesn't. When people say, "What's your favorite Tarantino movie?" I don't feel like people even like you just said before, like. A Tarantino movie, you think of Pulp Fiction, you think of Inglorious Bastards, you think of Django, you think of this crazy, slightly over-the-top, super quick dialogue. A mm-hmm. lot of people don't even consider this Jackie movie. Brown, yeah. yeah. What do you think of that? Because I feel like this movie wasn't as, you know, right. super well-received as other of his films. I mean, this is definitely the most un-Tarantino Tarantino movie he's probably made. Um when you swing that far to the pendulum, a lot of people, I guess, taken off by it. I think it's also the fact that it directly followed Pope Fiction, so people were expecting a oh, follow-up to Pope Fiction. What is it going to be? And it was something that was different. It wasn't the all of the snappy dialogue. There's still definitely a snappy dialogue there. Um, but these characters are more just people who all are very, very different, speak very, very differently, and don't you know, and, 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 and it's so much more focused on like place and location and theme and, um, and all this different stuff. I mean, particularly with location, I think I, I'm attached to this movie partially because it takes place in a lot of the areas that I grew up in Compton, Carson, Harthon, uh, the Lamo malls featured prominently, which is the mall I went to like all the time when I was a kid in Torrance. Um, so these are all locations I'm very familiar with South, South Los Angeles. Um, I feel like I'm going to comment on that, and I yeah. kind of want to dive in deeper on that. Mm-hmm. It's so, so, so powerful, and, and, and it's hard to watch a movie without taking that in. Watching a movie that takes place wherever you grew up or, mm-hmm. or a, a pl- takes place where somewhere you know intimately, mm-hmm. I feel like that can literally affect your thoughts and your opinions on the movie. That happened to me. I've, I've talked about it a lot, but on Sicario mm-hmm. uh, and, and part two as well, Day of the Soldado, it's every town they go to, I'm like, I grew up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things that it affects my thoughts on the movie. It really did. Like, I was talking to my mom about it. I'm like, it's hard because that's my hometown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you feel that same way with this movie where it's like you kind of take your perceived notions and your childhood memories or whatever memories that you have and you kind of take it into this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that if you would agree with that. Yeah, but. no, definitely. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that I mean the, the movie does a great job of highlighting all those different areas that it touches on. But um, I think this movie, more than anything, is not focused on the dialogue. It's more focused on the people and the characters and being and seeing all of these different people for who they are and kind of I'm peeling the onion for a lot of these people because for really, for at least like Robert De Niro's character, for example, Robert De Niro's character, like you don't know anything about him until like you're very deep into the movie and you're just slowly realizing more and more of much how much of a of a sociopath this guy is or, or a psychopath this guy is. Um, meanwhile, you grow more empathetic with somebody who, like uh, with the Max Cherry character but played by Robert Foster as you learn more and more about him. So it's just all, and you and again, you more and more information about Samuel Jackson. I mean, for, for his character at least, you get to know who he is almost immediately when he, he has that scene with Beaumont. And he and he kills uh, the Chris Tucker character Beaumont, and from that point on, you just kind of know, like, oh, this guy's a fucking piece of shit. But then, like, you you end up like liking him more and more. But then he also does some more fucked up shit. So it's just like, damn, it's tough, man. Like, it's tough to really like you, but you're really likable. You know what I mean? I feel like that's 
I feel like this movie operates on a lot of different character levels that a lot of Tarantino movies don't really operate on. So, but that's also on the actor itself. Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel that personally. Mm-hmm. What does the actor bring to the screen? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult to dislike a character because of the association with the performance that they're giving, mm-hmm. and you start to be like, ah, he's super messed up, but he's pretty. He's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because that that happens a lot in movies, and that obviously is going to happen with Samuel Jackson, who's a you know, star. super crazy, well-known actor and yeah. a really good actor, too. Um, but let's talk about Pam Greer, because I feel like she's probably the one that, in my opinion, that stands out the most mm-hmm. in her character and the way that Tarantino gives you not only her current story, but her back, her backstory and mm-hmm. kind of where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like on a performance level, but also on a character level that the character of Pam Greer, I forget her name in the movie. Jackie um, Brown. Uh, that's uh, that's right. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but this movie's called Jackie Brown because of her what she gives, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you feel her opinion on that? Well, no, I, I think is I think it's fantastic that the Tarantino cast of Pam Grier. She's a very big uh, exploit uh, black exploitation actress back in that time, starting movies like Coffee and um, all these amazing like black exploitation films back then, um, and she was a big part of that movement. So. Seeing that Tarantino alludes, not alludes, but he takes a lot of influence from black exploitation in this movie in particular. He does it um, in quite a few of his movies, too. Though, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some of that in Pulp Fiction. There's a lot of that here. And when we talk about you know Django, that's an all black exploitation movie. And I know it's not technically his movie, but he wrote uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, right, 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 right. I forget the character's name in that movie, but... Right, right, right. You know right. who I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy's yeah, straight out of his black exploitation movie. Yeah, yeah. I like, mean, literally straight out of it. I think that's where he got him. Right, right, right. And, and uh, I mean, you look at the other movies Tarantino's written, too, uh, like uh, 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 True Romance, uh, kind of... Not ex- not there's not black exploitation in that movie, but sure. there's that element of somebody making not making fun of that, but trying to embrace that with, with Gary Oldman's character who plays like the drug dealer who wants to be black but he's really white. Yeah. Um. So it's just funny that that he, that all those aspects and he's watching a black exploitation movie in the background and in, in yeah. Hermans. Um. No, but, I just think it's funny because it's one of those things where like something from from Tear Dust Till Dawn. I'm probably making this up, but it's one of those things where it's like a a black guy in a black jacket. Who's a super crazy badass? He's got like a handlebar mustache. Yeah. He's got kind of like a mini frill going on, like and the, then there's the, like a the camera whip, and then like a zoom in, and he goes, "Damn!" Like that's yeah, kind of, yeah that's super. <laughs> that's you're like, come on, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're taking it from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's I just think it's funny because that's the connection that you have to black exploitation, right? Right, 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 right. And casting Pam Grin that uh, adds a little bit to that too, but makes sure. it a more. This is more of like a, an adult. A black exploitation movie to a certain extent, to where sure. it's it's not all manic killing this and that. It's more of like, oh, this is like the introspective look. It's like a it's like a traditional crime heist movie, but with a tinge of like black exploitation. Um, which also, I also kind of think this is one of the more grounded heist movies we're ever gonna see. Like just the whole fact that the entire not heist, but like the entire caper or whatever takes place inside of a department store mall, uh, <laughs> really inside of a dressing room, and how all of that just happens. You know, it's just really, it's really interesting to me. So yeah, I mean, I feel like this movie definitely has a dif- a different kind of reality than Tarantino is usually known for. Mm-hmm. That's just my my personal take on it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, Pam Grier for a reason. She's she's that famous for a reason. Obviously, because of the movies she's in, but also because. Of her performance in this uh, movie. And her music career, too. And Which salute to, to Tarantino for using a Pam Grier song in this movie. There you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you seen Luke Cage season two? I have not. Okay. 
I was gonna. I haven't either. <laughs> oh, okay, no. Yeah. I just wanted to hear to hear your opinion on it, just because yeah, we were on the topic. I'm done with the Marvel Netflix stuff. So. Dang. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dang. Did you see the Fenders? Uh, yeah, I did see the Fenders. Okay. That was when I called it quits. <laughs> I I was okay with the Fenders. I thought it was not bad. Yeah. Um, was, that was. But then again, you liked Luke Cage season one, didn't you? I like Luke Cage season one. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know. To me, it's like everything's tainted now. You know what I mean? Like I can't. I don't even know if I can go back for Daredevil. Oh man! Come I don't even on, know about man. that, man. Come like, on, man! <laughs> You're breaking my heart, dude. You know, <laughs> Jessica funny? Jones. I love first season Jessica Jones. I, I was gonna say, bro. One. I was like the biggest flag bearer of Jessica Jones season one. Yeah. Like I was like, "F you guys, Jessica Jones season one is the best," and I would wave that flag like crazy. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen season two. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Because just... every time I'm like. Yeah. Jessica Jones season two or Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Ah! Right, right, right. <laughs> and, <I'm> just, <laughs> and I'm like 20 minutes of just ridiculous comedy or an hour of Jessica Jones. That is fest, you know what I mean? Like, but I, I, uh, that's a, that's on me. That's on me. I, I fully take credit. I mean, I'm nah, punishment. I, it for really that. is. I mean, we have Iron Fist and. Defenders like back to back is like yo like hey. Speaking of Netflix, that's where I rewatched his next film, which hey. is Kill Bill Volume One. Yeah. Um starring Uma Thurman, which Uma Thurman. he which he you know developed a relationship with um in this movie and obviously through pulp fiction, but I feel like it's definitely one hundred percent on her carrying mm. the whole film. But speaking of throwbacks, this movie is just a giant throwback. Oh yeah, no definitely. Um, to the point that it's 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 hard to put your finger on the tone of this movie because at moments mm-hmm. you're like oh that's really messed up and in other moments you're like am I supposed to laugh or am I supposed to be horrified right 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 <laughs> because this movie does it quite a bit um, specifically with music cues specifically with with different scenes the hyper hyper violence in this movie the yeah. hyper violence <laughs> in this movie to the point that it looks kind of fake <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and i'm like is that the point for it to look fake and you obviously conclude that probably is the point mm-hmm. um considering the the i don't know what you call it the sprinkler blood effect oh yeah oh, the yeah. hose effect mm-hmm. when when people get cut in in the final battle of the crazy 88 mm-hmm. and they're just like shh and it keeps going and i'm like I don't think that's how blood works <laughs> mm-hmm. as far as people being cut, but that's what happens in this movie. And obviously it's very much uh, kind of a, I don't want to, I don't know if I should say love letter, uh, rip off, uh, <laughs> tribute to a like lot of things, yeah. Kung Fu mm-hmm. films, Chinese Kung Fu films. It takes, it takes a lot from that. And particularly with uh, Bruce Lee's filmography. I was going to say, cause I'm a, I'm a massive Bruce Lee mm-hmm. fan. Right. So I, that's where I, would go to as well. Right, right. With the yellow jumpsuit taken straight from uh, The Last Dragon, if I'm not mistaken. Ent- Enter the Dragon? Enter the Dragon. I'm sorry. Man, my text message is just... I don't think it's Enter the Dragon. I think it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's the last film he did. Uh, Game of Death. Game of Death. There we go. Yeah. The one where he fights Scream of Dude right. at the end. Which is um, a great... I love that movie. Yeah. That's, he didn't even get to finish it, unfortunately. No. Yeah. Um, I hate the stuff that did you. I mean, I don't know if that you saw added, like, the stuff where he's that they like added. in a metal, metal motorcycle helmet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which that's where Tarantino took the whole thing for the bride wearing the motorcycle helmet. Yeah. Um, and also the bride, and that's and it was kind of funny because that's the times that you see uh, actress Zoe Bell playing the bride part, who Zoe Bell ends up becoming an actress and frequent in Tarantino's movies. She's uh, Uma Thurman's stunt woman and. A lot of times when she's wearing the helmet, that's you know, she's also in the hateful eight. He's also in the hateful eight, yeah. And she's uh, and she's the and main Death star Proof, of, of Death Proof, yeah. She's yeah. one of the main stars of that. Um, but it's just, yeah, so I mean, that's I mean, but 
you know, that he takes from that, David, David, casting David Carradine as, um, as Bill, um, who, you know, David Carradine starred in that uh, TV show um, that was created by Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee didn't end up starring in it because, like, the American producers thought they needed an American to star in it, um, which also opens up a whole nerd conversation about co- cultural appropriation, which a lot of people say Kill Bill might be an example of that. I mean, I was gonna say that's another thing. You're you're hitting so many different topics, but I guess we can we can jump right there. I mean, the fact that it is a white woman slicing ch- ch- uh, uh, Japanese people's heads off, yeah, and it's like the white woman and Vivica Foxes and Vivica Fox, <laughs> yeah, That's a good point. But I mean, but it's one of those things where you're just like, it, it, it's the stereotypical. We need a, a crazy martial artist. Let's give her a, a, a Chinese and Japanese master, mm-hmm. but let's make it a white woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously he points it out quite a bit, especially in volume two. But it's one of those things where it's like it's it's a bunch of Asian people losing to the powerful old white woman that took and dominated. It kind of is cultural appropriation when it comes to that fact. But it, it's 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 also one of those things that stems from because I'm a martial arts guy. Right. And, and I follow martial arts films and stuff like that. But there is this this system that keeps running through different films of the of the white outsider learning martial arts from the chinese or uh, japanese master and he teaches him and he passes on the ways last samurai is an example of that mm-hmm. but even 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 characters like snake eyes from from uh gi joe, G. I. joe. Mm-hmm. but even even the character from the tv show too it's one of those things where it's like oh, martial arts is really cool and people love ninjas but it's got to be a white dude otherwise they're not going to connect to it yeah. and it's like Really, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that—that's really the case when it comes to a lot of martial arts films. Is, is that that characterization of, of the white guy learning the martial arts power, and he grew up in the village of whatever, mm-hmm. and and that kind of plays into Kill Bill quite a bit. Right, right, um, right, right. And I mean that's a big part of it. I mean, but you know, I guess the plus side of it, which is my coming from my personal experience, this movie actually ended up opening a whole window for me, um, for martial arts karate films. Okay, because that, that's something that my brother loved and he kind of just like raised me on the bruce lee martial mm-hmm. arts cinema so mm-hmm. i'm used to it right but yeah but, but i remember the door for you well i remember watching i mean this is i mean my grandmother like i've mentioned before on the show she loves karate movies she loves bruce lee chucky chan like all these guys um but we used to watch kill bill a lot when i was little kill bill volume one and two she loved volume two um i'm not the biggest fan of volume okay two. we'll talk about uh, it. we'll talk about it but um but you know, she raised me on 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 a lot of those movies. So then, once I got around to like rewatching the Bruce Lee stuff and all that stuff, I realized, oh, this is where that came from. And I think Kill Bill really gave me an appreciation for it as being one of my first introductions to that. Um, so I just think it's really it's really dope. Um, also, I just think I, I know we're talking a lot about the the martial arts and the violence and the action, but Uma Thurman's performance in this movie is actually really really incredible. Uh, throughout this entire thing. That's because Tarantino tortured her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. especially volume two as well. Where yeah, it's like, yeah. You're, at, you're pre- no, she actually put him through shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but her, you're right, her performance is... is well, I, I just think back to that in scene. In both films. Yeah, I mean, when she wakes up from the coma and then she realized she lost her daughter and dude, you know, she's crazy. being raped by all these dudes. And yeah. you know, like, I mean, just what you see in her face, just in that, that one sequence, just amazing to me. Um, I also love the whole scene with the uh, with the with the uh, da, 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 da. that music. I was gonna say that song was also freaking uh, some rapper took it too. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Rob Stone, Rob Stone, Rob Stone. 
Yeah. Yeah, the whistling port. It's like the. Mm-hmm. It's so catchy. <laughs> it's uh, it's from an older movie um called uh, it's from an older um Brian De Palma movie. I just can't remember what which one is from. Mm. Um, but yeah, that I mean, Tarantino reappropriated that. Sure. And took a sequence because it was also a split scene sequence. I think with the original context in the movie that's from sure um he took that aspect and put that into this movie and just like completely recontextualized it but made it with, with l awesome. um her name is l in the movie yeah l yeah patch girl yeah or, uh, or california black, mountain snake yeah or is that black mamba or no no, no black mamba black is, mamba is the bride yeah um it's i think it's california mountain snake it's california Mi- okay, uh, i'm gonna yeah. look it up but i'm taking your word for it I don't know. Um, it doesn't say. These characters are so confusing. It doesn't say on IMDb. Um, but they're um, dope. <laughs> Vivica Fox is super dope in this, though. I was going to say, Vivica Fox is in this, too. Yeah. That's a yeah. huge... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's freaking Vivica Fox. You can't watch this movie without saying, it's Vivica Fox. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because it is. She's hot, and she, like, made... Amazing. That, that I mean, the whole opening sequence for this movie is, like, absolutely mind-blowing, you know? Um, but which we still need Kill Bill three with the because they said Kill Bill three is going to be about the little girl or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to see that. I was going to say I don't want to see it either. You oh, don't want to see that. <laughs> Let's oh. leave it at two, man. Uh, Just come on. I don't know, man. I'm not the biggest fan of the second one, though. Yeah, but but one of those things too is that obviously rewatching this movie because it's the most recent one I rewatched. Mm. Um, when Vivica Fox misses mm-hmm. every time, I'm like, bro, how can you miss? <laughs> <laughs> She's five feet in front of you. <laughs> like it's got to be a really shitty aim to be like. Push! It's literally when you're right here. Mm. I don't know. That's a small little tidbit for me. But let's that's another thing let's, that we can talk about when it comes to this movie is tone. Mm. This movie is super over yeah. the top. It's very comedic. The way it's shot yeah. is with the super snap zooms mm-hmm. that kung fu movies are known for. Right. The looking to camera and doing a crazy face and, and the camera zooms in on you. Mm. That's from kung fu films too. Or 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 the freaking the other song that makes an appearance in this movie quite a bit is the the one that everyone uses to like make a when you're realizing something that do 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 yeah yeah that song yeah 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 every time I'm just like and I'm like yeah. laughing because it's and the, like, you know and that's and that's another movie reference I mean like that's that's another thing that came from another movie and also. The Isaac Haynes, the the like the, that warm up song comes from um, um, an older Isaac Haynes film that he was a composer for. Um, so it's just so chock full of like all these really funny like really funny music cues that sure. take from a lot of different different sources. I mean, there's so many things in the movie that t- that's from. The, I mean, the fact that she's narrating, mm-hmm. and every time we meet a new assassin, a new character, mm-hmm. like she tells you who she is. Like this is Gogo. When we meet, is it Gogo or Gugu? Gogo. Gogo. Yeah. And this is Gogo. Like, look, she is. She's 17 years old, but she's crazy. And like, look right. at her stab this guy. And then it cuts back to the film. Or when we meet, uh, I forget her name, the French Japanese girl. Like, she's mm. she's narrating everything uh, throughout the movie, and she's all. Tarantino also uses, funny enough, anime <laughs> mm. in this movie to tell the backstory of Oren Ishii. I think is her Oren name. Oren Ishii, yeah. Um, who plays Cottonmouth? That's her name. Yeah, Cottonmouth, yeah. And uh, um, Lucy Liu's the real actress. Played by Lucy Liu. Yeah. And it's funny how they talk about, um, in that meeting when she's meeting with the bosses, the Yakuza bosses, mm. uh, and they talk about, like, how did a Chinese, a Japanese, American become the leader of the Yakuza, mm-hmm. right? And they talk about that quite a bit in this movie. Right. And the scene when the guy questions her for because of that reason, mm-hmm. and she cuts off his head. Mm-hmm. Um 
I don't know why I laugh every time. <laughs> it's because the way he shoots her her little feet mm. running across the desk is kind of funny. Mm. Like like I don't know if you rewatched this movie recently, but every time you see that scene and she starts going with her little socks off and then just chops off his head, it's kind of funny in a way. But yeah, I mean, this whole movie is a giant throwback. Even the act structure is is something that right, right, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but it's it's so cool, man. Like I love the the sequence when she's like going to the bathroom or whatever, and then the camera just kind of follows you throughout the entire thing, so you really get the scope of like the geography of, of the, the location. Yeah, the location. This, this yeah. movie, speaking of location, is another huge thing. I was because that's again thinking of like producing shit. I'm like, man, that's that, that place does not look cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. That place looked like it cost money to rent that place to shoot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final battle place is what I'm referring to. Right. Because it's huge. And mm-hmm. it's, it's got so much culture in it. Yeah. And, and I really do feel like when it comes to, obviously, Tarantino is known for his violence. Mm-hmm. His over-the-top violence. But it's also one of those things of the way this movie is shot. Those final battle scenes are insane mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. so freaking cool mm-hmm. like even without the violence that movie can, that can stand it on its own is one of the greatest action scenes almost of all time oh without like, a doubt it's, yeah. it, at least when it comes to fighting scenes one of the greatest fight scenes of all time mm-hmm. <clears throat> and as someone who really enjoys watching different fight scenes and it's actually something that again I grew up with my brother kind of show me different martial arts movies and me kind of falling in love with different fight scenes. I'm very opinionated when it comes to quality of fight scenes. This movie holds up. Like, mm. it really holds up as far as her fighting the crazy 88. Even her fighting Go-Go was dope. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's, it's only like three minutes. But the way it's shot, it's crazy. Yeah, like it, super it, suspenseful. The, that's right. The Dutch the, angles. The scope and mm-hmm. what making you feel like She's going to be overcome by these the quantity of people that she's facing off against. And the fact that the Crazy 88 show up after she barely beat Gogo, mm-hmm. you're like, bro, I mean, you barely beat her. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to beat the Crazy 88? And the general shows up and he goes, ah, and it zooms in on his face. Yeah, and like all of, all of the cameras like zoom out the show. I, it, to me, it was just so funny seeing that many people running out. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Was, and then doing the jump. The, yeah. They do the Naruto run and the Naruto jump where they like have their hands behind their back mm-hmm. and then jump. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's goofy it's like anime kind yeah. of where anime obviously you're not as big of a fan of anime as i am but anime is very over the top and people mm-hmm. forget that when they talk about anime mm-hmm. um but i don't know if you've seen any anime. no no yeah exactly it, yeah there's that's... how many close-ups in anime where a guy's going mm-hmm. like and then mm-hmm. the music's playing like it's crazy it's over mm-hmm. the top like anime fights are insane <laughs> mm-hmm. and this is kind of like an anime fight which right. his intent that's totally his intention mm-hmm. because the movie takes place in japan like, right. For crying out loud, this is totally like him talking about anime and putting anime yeah, into films. Eastern cinema and all that kind of stuff. That's absolutely a part of this movie for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I personally was like, man, I don't know. I, that backstory kind of makes me want Oren Ishii to win. <laughs> right? <laughs> anime backstory, you kind of root, yeah. You kind of root for, for Lucy Liu for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I do. Uh, I was like, man, Lucy Liu, I'm rooting for you, girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's one of those... Another <laughs> Going back to movie crushes, Lucy Liu, man, that's another one. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's one of those things where um, 
this whole movie is has plays with that over the top tone mm-hmm. quite a bit. Even like making of the sword and all that. And right, 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 right. It's so over the top. But mm-hmm. I don't know, man. What do you think of this movie? And how do you feel like it defines Tarantino? Do you feel like it defines him as like now he can prove that not only is he known for the crazy dialogue and all that stuff, which is in this movie quite a bit, mm-hmm. but shooting enormous, insane action scenes. No, I mean, I think he's always been a capable director shooting all kinds of scenes. And sure. I think this movie, I mean, I think both of these movies highlight um, how well he could do up-close fighting and how he uses editing at, like, just the right spots to, like, make sure the audience keeps up while at the same time being, like, generally entertained and, like, on the edge of their seats. Um, I always think back to part one when the thing goes from color to black and white, you know, at the at the blink of the eye, uh, just to kind of... I know they, they put it to black and white because they wanted to keep it at an R rating because I guess it would have gotten, like, an NC-17 if that kept it in color. Uh, so then, like, that... Yeah. yeah, I think they put it in black and white to, to uh, like, desensitize the violence a little bit. Sure. Um, not desensitize, but to, I guess... Technically, to sensitize the violence, sure. um, but or sanitize at least. Um, but yeah, so I mean, th- the fact that that was a creative decision that they made in the blink of the eye to kind of switch that up and kind of put you back back into that lane, uh, back into the color to 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 put you back into that scope. I don't know, just all the all around the the decisions that are made throughout um, are really fascinating, and interesting, um, and even even. The scenes where a lot of suspense is built, like like we mentioned the hospital scene, but even the scene where she crawls back into the back of the truck and then uh, has to do the whole wiggle her toes yeah. thing, you know, like all of that, like the way that the Oranishi story was stuck in between that. So, and like when you come back to that, it does feel like an entire long journey <laughs> that you've been gone uh, away from her. So, like, and and in the context of the movie, that's how you're supposed to feel. So, I like how he uses all these different elements of storytelling to give you characters' perspectives yeah. into what they into what they're looking into these situations with. And it's also, as someone who obviously loves martial arts film, it's also the something that I always refer to when it comes to building uh, fighting power. Mm. It's I, I don't know if there's a term for it necessarily, but it's something that I always take in mind when it comes to like who would win in a fight, who would win in a fight. Mm-hmm. Is it's so necessary to see that backstory because then when we see a final battle, you find you have that anticipation of like oh Lucy Lou's dope, like mm-hmm. it, this is gonna be crazy fight, like how is she gonna be able to beat Lucy Lou? Whereas like I wouldn't have known that if Tarantino would have just said she's an assassin, she's really strong, but you showed me in that anime film that you did. Mm-hmm. And it, it showed me that it's like, oh, her fighting power is on this level, and then Uma Thurman's is on this level. They're almost equally matched. This is going to be a good fight. Mm-hmm. So the audience can be like, oh, now I'm involved in this fight because right. I don't think it's going to just be a throwaway fight. And that's what we talk about, the anticipation, right? He spends the entire movie building to that moment. <laughs> so when it does come to that moment, it's going to have a nice satisfying conclusion either way so yeah and it's one of the most important things when it comes to martial arts movies is is mm-hmm. showing how strong the opponent is mm-hmm. so you can f- fear for your hero mm-hmm. you could be like oh i don't know if he's going to be able to take this guy on it's it's something that every martial arts film does right yeah so and maybe that's why part two didn't really hit i was gonna me say let's well. jump to to volume two why don't you like this movie or everything no i like it no i like it i definitely like it um, I just feel like this one's a little underwhelming when looking at part one, to me at least. Sure. Um, this one's less over the top, is more grounded, uh, well, supposedly, but I almost kind of feel like it's more cartoony in a lot of ways, too. 
Like, I really do think back to those scenes where she's getting trained by the, the old wizard dude looking motherfucker, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I was going to talk about that, but you yeah. beat me to the punch. Yeah, right. that to me, I mean, that to me just kills me out of, like, every time I watch this movie. Like, all right, I get it. Like, I get the Chi- the old Eastern Chinese uh, film, you know, throwback and all that stuff, but that to me is like, come on, yo. Like, <laughs> you can do a little, like, it's a little too much. Oh, my so. God. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably the most over-the-top thing in both of those movies. The fact that he's like, you've come to train yeah, with me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, forget you. And then it zooms in, and mm. then it's like, choo. <laughs> like, it's so over-the-top that I'm yeah. like, all right, this is definitely a 1960s, 1970s martial arts film. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, The way he shot it, the texture of the film. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's when you have those flashback scenes. You're right. The way he keeps stroking his giant beard. Right, 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 right. I was okay with it because I kind of accepted the over the top tone. But mm-hmm. apparently, you hate everything, RB three. Oh no, no, I like <laughs> no. And there's scenes like I love the scene where she has to like punch her way out of the grave. Well, that's like, the other thing too. Is like rewatching that. I was like, my god, mm-hmm. <laughs> like did Tarantino actually bury her? Because it feels that way. <laughs> like it feels like Tarantino was like, no, you really got to get out of the box. I'm gonna be up here waiting for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause it's you feel her pain and her despair and her, you know, yeah. like this is crazy. Like, how do you how do you get out of this thing? But yeah. it's also personally watching it. It also plays into the whole, like, why don't they just kill her? They could have killed her like yeah. a long time ago. Why doesn't uh, I forget who what's his name is Buddy in the movie? Why doesn't he just take the shotgun and just blast her in the face mm. <laughs> when he shoots her with rocks out in the beginning of the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's like, oh, I'm giving you a flashlight. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why don't you just kill her? Like, I don't know. Are you trying to torture her, Like, man? I guess that the, the you're right. The torture aspect was something that Black Mountain, uh, California Mountain Snake was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, you're right. That's messed up. That's ev- That's an evil way to kill her. But giving her a flashlight, to me, <laughs> was like, really? If you really want to torture her, you would just bury her. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you killed her. By that, by burying her like that. Mm. But giving her a flashlight, I was like, why? Are you? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Because you're literally telling her, escape and come back and kill me. Mm. I don't know. That's a little thing that took me out of it for a moment. Right. But, and again, there, there's some cool scenes in this movie. Like, I really do feel like um, the scenes with Buddy, even building the character himself. Yeah, Michael Masson again, right? Michael Masson. That's right. Again, and yeah. he's, a, he's a bouncer for like a crappy club or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a crappy strip club and then when we meet a little bit more of l we have her backstory as right, well. right 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 and i also think um you know i i also think the fight between um the mountain snake woman and uh i'm just calling one-eyed from now yeah or you uh, can one-eyed. call it l her name is l, oh, l yeah l and um the bride I thought that was uh, an amazing sequence together. <laughs> As they're duking it out and she pulls out her other eye, I'm like, damn, yo. Yeah, I was going to say, that's messed up, right? <laughs> it's so messed up. Like that's it, It's almost to the point that I'm like, we get it, Tarantino. You're messed up. You're really messed up. Like yeah. even the scene in volume one that I didn't talk about where he's like, what are you going to do with her? It's like, I'm going to rape this girl while she's... And I'm like, really, Tarantino? <laughs> like who does that? Yeah, I know who's the bad guys, man. The yeah, guys I guess. But it's like, you got to make it like... I'm not just gonna kill your 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 girlfriend in front of you. I'm gonna rape her and then cut her off her head and then feed her head. To, I'm like, we get it, man. We get it. Right. <laughs> like it's crazy. It's bad. It's messed up. 
Um, but yeah, that's a, that's another thing. You're right. That fight was crazy. And it's also, I forgot to say in the first movie too, the over-the-topness where everyone's like, you have a Hanzo sword. <laughs> and it's like, even at the end, that's her last line. is like, she did have a Hanzo sword. And then she doesn't. I'm like, what is <laughs> It plays into the over-the-topness. But the thing that, in my opinion, when it comes to volume two, that will make or break people's opinion on this movie is the finale. Yeah. When it comes to when she finally meets Bill and her daughter's waiting for her mm-hmm. and her daughter plays, uh, you know, cops and robbers or whatever the game is. Mm-hmm. And he shoots her with like truth serum and shit like that. I'm just like, bro, this is, it's been over the top, but now it's like, even getting weirder over the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think of that whole a, interaction, a, the conversation that she had with Bill? Well, it was a much more somber note to end the movie on. Sure. Um, to me, it was just, to me, I just always kind of felt like, damn, we went on this entire journey just to end it like this. There are some amazing scenes with David Carradine, though, like when he does the whole Superman speech and how Superman is really a secret identity for... And uh, I love... Lil' Superman's like my favorite, so I totally... Yeah, 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 yeah. And I appreciate... I appreciate that stuff and appreciate some other moments in, in those, but overall, like, like, damn, this movie takes place at the end with the house. I mean, it, of course, it makes it very personal for the bride and, and makes it very... The stakes very, very personal and narrow, specific for her. Um, but to me, it was just like, I, I, I wanted to see something else, you know, at least at the end, but... Um. Yeah, David. But David Carradine does give a great performance as that sure. as as Bill, and he has a lot of fascinating things to say uh, throughout that. So, um, even be, the even the flashback that we get with uh, Lucy Kang, I think, is who she's trying to kill. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Fine. The girl with the shotgun. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought she was dope too, but it's just right. funny where it's like, yeah, that was yeah, that I'm was pregnant. a crazy scene. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Fun, have a good day. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. This is her last the last line she says. And it's just like really <laughs> Yeah. I mean there's that there's that there's that understanding between women. It like is. Pregnancy. No, it is. You're right. Yeah. And and, it, and, it, and I got that. I really mm-hmm. did get it. I just thought it was kind of funny in a way. But at the same time, I guess the whole point is to show you that even when it comes to assassins, mm-hmm. the humanizing factor of having a child, of being a mother, mm-hmm. like no matter what, that's always gonna be like, Oh, you you're pregnant. Oh, okay. Like mm-hmm. even even me who kills people for a living is not going to go that far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I get it. But you would rank this one, volume two specifically, lower on your list of Tarantino's? Yeah, this would probably be one of the lower ones. But, you know, I mean, it's tough because if you were to look at them as a part one and part two as one thing, um, Kill Bill as just one thing will probably be at like the five spot and the six spot of my Tarantino list. But volume one alone is like number four. You know what I mean? Like volume one is really high. It just volume two fell off a little bit for me. But I still appreciate what it has to say overall. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, it's. I don't know. I feel. I don't know how I feel. I, I liked it because it's difficult to watch this movie in a different lens than the one I watched it with. Which mm-hmm. again is being a massive fan of the movies that he's referencing, which mm-hmm. is the old throwback martial arts films. Um, but at the same time, I get it. I, I get why right, right, it's right. not as high for you. But, uh, I mean, we can't move on from Kill Bill Volume 2 without talking about the uh, the whole thing that came out with uh, the stories. Of- I was going to say, so my thing with <clears throat> Quentin Tarantino is, especially now, especially now in Hollywood, because obviously even five years ago, it'd be whatever. But now in Hollywood, I feel like Hollywood is, is, is turning the page when it comes to how to make movies. For anyone who doesn't know or anyone who hasn't been on a film set, I've been on a few film sets as a PA. 
It's insane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and directors are crazy. Yeah. And they scream and yell and do shit that probably shouldn't be allowed. But you're like, that's what the director wants. Kind of, that's the line that people say in order to excuse certain things that should not be excused. Right. Um, <clears throat> and that's what Tarantino, Tarantino spit on Uma Thurman. Tarantino put her in dangerous positions. Right. Tarantino, like I said before, almost kind of tortured her throughout these movies to make her feel the kind of pain that she was feeling. And by torture, I don't mean necessarily physically, but psychologically <laughs> in, in, a, in a degrading kind of way to the point that it's like, is she acting or is she just being getting the shit kicked out of her, you know, psych psychologically by Tarantino? Because right. that's what he does to, Bro, in order to get the performances that he wants. Yeah, I mean, I know the whole thing specifically was with the car being driven at the beginning of part two mm -hmm. and how that crashed. And I mean, we saw the video was all awful. Um, but I mean, like, it's tough because when you look at all of the great directors throughout our time, um, you know, particularly Hitchcock, particularly Kubrick, they all really have this thing about putting their actors under the microscope and really like <laughs> putting the heat on them. You know what I mean? You know, particularly I think of, uh, Stanley Kubrick with Shelley Duvall when they were shooting The Shining. And how he did infinite amounts of takes and takes and takes and takes just to fuck with her. Literally just to fuck with her, just to put her to a point of a break, a, a breaking point. So where th that's just how she's always going to feel throughout this entire movie. She's because of how she felt when she was on set. Right, right, Have right. you seen Barry? Uh, I haven't. I have, was that the one with Ryan Reynolds? No, Barry's the one with, uh, oh, uh. with Bill Hader. Oh, right. No, I haven't seen that, no. It's the HBO show. Oh, it's, okay. it's literally, I won't spoil it for you, but it's in the pilot episode. It's literally about acting, mm. uh, and and there's an acting school, but it's funny because there's a scene just like that mm. where where afterwards everything is forgiven because it's it's the the acting coach, um, is like degrading the shit out of her and she's uh. like, oh. and 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 now perform and she goes, Ooh, and then she performs and she's like, oh my god, thank you so much and it's just like everything's okay, it's okay to say these awful things because I get a great performance out of it. Mm -hmm. And then she, the actor is thanking the coach for, you know, degrading her. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's always forgiving because that's the Hollywood way. Right, and right. it's kind of, they're making fun of it because it's a satire. But it's one of those things where it's like, that's kind of true. Because afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, Stanley, thank you so much. Like, that's the kind of stuff you would say. Or Quentin, thank you for torturing me. At first, I was very put off by it. But now, since the, you gave me such a great performance, I got out of it. All is forgiven. Everything's okay. Is it though? Is it RB three? Is nah. there a line? I mean, I think there's a line. I mean, you know, Tarantino. I mean, it, I mean, it's tough. I mean, when when you're actually putting like lives in danger, like you do from with Thurman, like that's you know that's really safety stunning, is know? like that's that's yeah. something you gotta have safety under control on your set. Right. Like, that's right. that's something that the the director should have under control. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the situation was that led to that. That was really um, that was super unfortunate that that's just the way that had to go down. But I mean, for I mean, you know, for a lot of I feel like that's a lot of what Hollywood is like manipulation, particularly directors manipulating actors to get them to feel a certain way. Um, so it's tough, you know, and, and, you know, I definitely don't want to see Tarantino start watering down his movies. But also at the same time, um, I don't want to see people being mistreated. 
Um, but if we're going to talk about Tarantino, we got to talk about some of the other <laughs> directors who literally fuck with their actors just to make, you know, just to get the best out of them. And sometimes really effective and sometimes people win Oscars off of it. So Yeah. Since we're talking about controversy, let's move on to another controversy that Tarantino has faced before. And, and that to me. Uh, Don't tell me the feet. Don't no, no, that's not. It's not the feet. You, you can have fetishes if you want. But it is the treatment of of of. of of actresses and, and, and females on set and the fact that he was so closely associated with Harvey Weinstein uh, to the point right, that it's right. like well, you can't I'm sorry you just can't convince me to that, that he didn't know anything that was going on of course he knew yeah. like if he was his buddies with, with Harvey this comes back into what I was saying beforehand when it was saying that he comes from a different time like a very different time in Hollywood the behind the scenes of, of Full Tilt Boogie really showed me that. The, I mean, the documentary Full Tilt Boogie really showed me that. And the fact that he has the the filmmaking process for anyone who doesn't know, I highly recommend this documentary. But it, it shows you the, and this is a, a, he's not the director of this movie, but he did write it and he has a, he's producing it as well. And he has a heavy hand inside the filmmaking of this movie uh, from Dust Till Dawn is what I'm talking about. But the way, Again, different time because it, what, there's uh, if you've seen from Dust Till Dawn, right? There's like dancers, like half naked dancers, naked dancers, um, and and the way that they treat them on set is crazy. And I, again, a lot of criticism goes to George Clooney as well because he's the same way, because he's George Clooney and he can do whatever he wants. Watching this film in retrospect, I was like, oh, this doesn't make George look good at all because he's so like everything is about like who you're going to. It's a different time of Hollywood. It's much more like, oh, I can fuck whatever girl I want. He literally says that in this Tarantino says that on set. And I'm like, you don't say those kind of things. You don't you don't do that. But back in the day, it's like the extra the extras in mm -hmm. the movie, the guy extras were all like harassing the shit out of girls. Mm -hmm. um, and then um when it comes to even the 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 PAs and the the female PAs and the female assistants would get like as if it was like a dead animal and a vulture like they were just circling all the women on the set and and you don't necessarily see that so vividly but I caught it I was like bro leave her alone there's like 15 dudes talking to like a girl and all like circling around so what do you do so who do you like who do you want to, who, do you, who do you have sex with who do you want to i'm like you don't say those things to these women they're just working on set and to me that's just another bigger picture of tarantino where he's just he's known for being so loose to the point that it's like is this okay like i don't know if it is uh and the mm -hmm. fact that harvey weinstein's the perfect example of it that's harvey is the perfect example of the type of Hollywood that people were okay with. Yeah. The well, whole, like, ah, it's Harvey. Mm, you know, I know we get, he's super flirty and super touchy, but it's Harvey. Like, is it okay, man? I don't know, man. I don't think it is, bro. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a whole tougher conversation of like, if you know, your friend's a, a sultan, like, what do you do in that case? I mean, that's a bigger conversation. Um, in and of itself. I mean, I, I for for Tarantino. I mean, that was his boss. You know, for lack of a better term, I mean, that was a dude who's bankrolling a lot of his movies. So I don't know if he necessarily confronted Weinstein about it, but I mean, I mean, that's that's you know, I mean, fortunately now he kind of detached himself from you know the the Weinstein. And of course, I mean, he said in a couple of interviews that he he knew enough that he should have said something, but he just didn't. 
And that calls into a question of like as ignorance as ignorance and not and not doing anything just as bad as doing something yourself, you know. And um, I mean, that's just that just depends on how you look at it. But I mean, at least he was honest and at least he said, you know, how he felt and he was being honest about it. And he probably had one of the more honest responses to the whole Me Too thing as compared to someone like Ben Affleck who was like, yeah, I told Weinstein not to do it. But then, like, you know, he's fucking get caught up in his own shit, too. <laughs> so, um, of course, no shade to Ben Affleck. I love Ben Affleck. but I was going to say, oh, I'll shade Ben Affleck. Oh, you'll shade Ben Affleck. Hell I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he did some couple. He did some things. but I was, I, I'll totally shade Ben Affleck. And, hey, man. But, uh, ben Affleck has some great movies um but uh <laughs> so, okay doesn't but, mean he's an asshole no i mean yeah of course and you know fortunately for tarantino it's not like he sexually assaulted anybody you know or at least that we know that of. we know of yeah but i mean i don't i don't know i'm not in for any hollywood secrets so i don't know any <laughs> but but again you're you're i'm i'm curious about you because you come from a different generation necessarily now when it comes to filmmaking yeah going to film school getting prepared for being on set and stuff but i I'm not that much more experienced than you are, mm. but seeing the way people treat women, even even watching behind-the-scenes stuff, you can tell. Right. Like, back in the day, even with Ben Affleck, even with other actors, George Clooney is a perfect example. The way they treated women on set, whether it was actresses, whether it was dancers, whether it was background, whoever it was, was very much like... Like the Ben Affleck tape that got released. It was like, well, what's up, girl? You cute. Come here. Come here, girl. Come here. And start <laughs> grabbing her and start, like... Feeling up on her kind of right. thing, and it's like, what's, and the, even if the girls are flattered, because it's a famous actor, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> right. You shouldn't be so loose when it comes to, you know, women on set, right. and just. Like, then, but then with the Ben Affleck, I'm sorry, we keep going back to Ben Affleck, but the one, the one where he's like filling up on the chick, didn't the chick say like she was cool with it or something? No, or yeah, and, and again, that's one of those things where is it okay if someone's okay with it? Mm. I, I don't know, is it? Because for yeah. me, it's like. It's it's fine. It's a different time, but at the same time, it's like that's that's you. You're using your power, your dominance, your 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 star quality, your position, your title, to be to to you know get women. And yeah, and, and I mean that's right. And I mean that that is a position of abuse of the position of power. And I'm, you know I'm sure there's a lot of people who are guilty of it. Um, Hollywood is filled with that. Yeah. That's where the Me Too movement came from. Yeah. Because as someone who works in the industry and had that as a full-time job and, and, and I've seen people in power and I've seen people who are like, oh, no, no, you can't say anything. This guy, this guy's like, he used to be friends with so-and-so and he used to do this with so-and-so and he made this and said that. So shh, you can't say it. Mm. That's so, that's Hollywood. And, mm. and the, especially with women, especially with women. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, that's, yes, as someone who's seen it firsthand, yes, that's totally a thing. Right, right. I mean, I just don't know how much of that, like, applies to Tarantino, like, per se. Like, sure. In terms of, like, women coming out saying they're uncomfortable or felt, you know, you know, I mean, there's, a, of course, a lot of cases of people being assaulted or, or raped and not reporting it. And that's totally, I mean, given the way the system's set up, I mean, that's... I mean, it's, it's tough for a lot of people, for a lot of women to find confidence in doing that. But I mean, you know, uh, with Tarantino, at least we haven't gotten any accusations necessarily sexually. We just know that he's a dick and he didn't take you know, Uma Thurman's safety into concern when he should have. Um, but like, it, you know, at least like at least we're not talking about somebody like Polanski or like or, you know, the worst of the worst. You know what I mean? Like Tarantino, eh. 
is kind of an asshole who, who even though who, he agreed with Polanski. Yeah, <laughs> even though yeah, I was gonna I say, mean, bro, that's, that's, that's yeah. I mean, that's, I was gonna say that 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 fo- that footage, just not footage, that tape, clip, that yeah. audio clip, kind of proves my point that I've been saying for the past ten minutes. Is the fact that it's not necessarily having a physical hand in something. It's it's being okay. It's the attitude. It's the it's the it's Hollywood. It's like, oh, he just took some seventeen year old up to his room. It's like, oh, that's George or that's so and so or that's Jimmy or that's whoever famous actor. No, <laughs> that shouldn't be okay. That should not be okay. Like it should totally have an attitude of clear lines that should not be thrown away because of the stardom or because of who who you are, which is all what Hollywood is about. It's all. It's all ass kissing to go to a different level. Like you know that. Like that's what Hollywood is. It shouldn't be okay. It's the attitude that that is necessarily what my criticism of Tarantino is. That's what makes him, in my opinion, controversial. Is his 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 attitude towards filmmaking on set and all that kind of stuff. Right. Because right. you just proved my point with the Polanski. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, that doesn't make him look good. I mean, we'll see how he handles the Polanski subject in the in his next movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm very that, curious about that movie. It does have a very Polanski-centric plot to it. So <laughs> We'll find out. And speaking of that kind of mentality, his next movie is Death Proof, which is the crazy stunt car action movie <laughs> yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen it. With super uh, badass chicks. Which yeah. is, you know, as much as we talk about how... I mean, it's got Tarantino, freaking Rose McGowan in it. Yeah, Rose McGowan. But I was going to say, that's another one who probably hasn't been as supportive of Tarantino as, you know, Rose yeah. McGowan has been pretty vocal as far as her criticism on this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know she says she wasn't, Tarant- you know, Tarantino didn't speak up. But, I mean, she, she um, Rose McGowan defended uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez for casting her and, and, uh, and all those parts back in the day, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with... You know, with Death Proof, it you know, it, it's definitely a movie about like the strong female centric sure. stunt women who are uh, surrounding this guy and like taking his you know and, and and fighting. It's very much a grindhouse style movie. That's what they're going for. It's part of the grindhouse, you know, collection of uh, that Rodriguez and Tarantino did together. It's originally a short. It was expanded out into a feature, and you know, with you know, with featuring the cast out of features. Um, and the very female centric um, kickassery of it is consistent with like the Kill Bill mode that he was in during that time too, um, which you know is interesting. You know, a lot of times with female action stars, there's the whole convention that that to be sexually desirable or um, not just sexually desirable, but also be attracted to either men or women or have some sort of sexual desire in and of themselves. Um, this movie does kind of uh play into that a, a heavy amount um you know because it's that throwback to the grindhouse aesthetic of like the 70s uh 60s 70s uh b movies or you could probably call them c movies or grindhouse movies you know what i mean so uh it plays into that a lot um but i think it subverts a lot of those tropes too in, in the same kind of ways of of the women biting back and the winning 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 out towards the end um so i don't know this you know it's, it's I don't know. It, 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 this is definitely, to me, it's Tarantino's weakest. But I don't know if it's really like a film per se. Is really it was originally just a short that was expanded into an expanded cut that barely, that makes it a feature. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, this. I mean, that's what the movie is yeah, about. Yeah, it, it is very much. Would you say it's his most grindhouse movie of? Yeah, yeah, of definitely. Yeah, and he takes a lot of influence from Grindhouse throughout his entire career. But it is most clearly, 
I mean, it's part of you know the grindhouse you know experience. So and that's uh, what Rodriguez is known for too. Right, is the fact that that's the type of movies he does. It's so funny because I, I watched that documentary, and it's so funny going through his filmography. <laughs> <laughs> Rodriguez's filmography because yeah. all of them are basically grindhouse movies pretty yeah. much all of them Spy Kids yeah uh, Machete yeah Machete we gotta kills. do we gotta do a Robert Rodriguez episode from when yeah. uh, was that Alita, Alita Battle, Battle Angel, Angel. Yeah. I'm so curious about that movie oh yeah, yeah. I'm so curious about it because again it's Robert Rodriguez so yeah. I don't know what to expect is it gonna be this crazy ridiculous <laughs> anime movie or I, I don't know. I'm curious how he's going to play with tone mm-hmm. because it's Robert Rodriguez right, for crying right, out loud. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm super curious about what's going to happen in that movie for sure. But, yeah, th- this movie totally plays into that for sure. And it's one of those things that you can see even how the movie shot. Mm. Is, is one of those things mm-hmm. where it's like I can tell I feel like that's even a, a thing in all his movies the way it's shot mm-hmm. can tell you the tone right 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 no, absolutely and this one's shot very grainy very over topish again very much in the ilk of those old school movies so but this is also um, his connection with Kurt Russell because mm. um, mm-hmm. Kurt Russell's in this movie right um, but yeah I mean for the most part I feel like because I, I, obviously I've I haven't rewatched this movie, but when I saw it, which was, you know, when I rewatched it, um, it it's more like a, it's it's very much like a horror movie, in my yeah. opinion. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is very much like of all his movies, it's one of the most throwback. Yeah, yeah, it's very schlocky in the sense that it's consistent with like. But you know what's funny? Now that I think of it, connecting two things, the fact that this movie is about stunt drivers. Right, 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 right. And we just talked about Uma Thurman. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The fact that this movie is literally, I mean, that stunt and this, the biggest one in the movie where she's it's like a car chase. Yeah, when yeah. she's on like on top of the car and stuff, mm-hmm. like crazy. Mm-hmm. The fact that someone can actually do that, and obviously we see that in, in another crazy action movie, which is Mad Max Fury Road. But the fact that you have people hanging out of cars and stuff, it's one of the most dangerous type of stunts to do, because you know you could say martial arts stunts or or, or pyrotechnic stunts, but but car stunts you have to be on top of your shit mm-hmm. in order to make sure everything is okay look what happened to freaking homeboy from uh, uh dylan o'brien dylan o'brien yeah. from freaking uh maze what's runner. that movie called uh, maze runner yeah scorch trials whatever it's called dude homie almost died <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of that car scene that was in the trailer for anyone who hasn't seen the movie like that's some really really delicate type of of stunts Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day as much as you have a dope stunt coordinator that's on the director but i just think it's kind of ironic that yeah i mean this is just irony what's the movie about a stuntman right kai russell plays a stuntman and it's surrounded by like we said zoe bell who's this frequent stunt woman for uma thurman yeah has a very prominent part in this movie Mm -hmm. um you know so it's 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 a movie about stunts and lives in this you know stunts so yeah, and Zoe yeah. Bell's great. I like Zoe Bell. I think oh, she's, she's amazing, great. man. Um, and yeah, she's almost like the lead in this movie, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from what I remember. Yeah, because like Rosario Dawson as well. Yeah. Too, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a good point. Uh, let's move on to Inglorious Bastards. Speaking of tone, this one's crazy. <laughs> yeah, this one juggles a lot. Yeah, this one has some in- insane jumps in tone. Uh, but I do feel like, I believe Christoph Waltz won an Oscar for this, correct me? He did, not. yes. This is the Christoph Waltz show right off the bat when it comes to the opening of this movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, Tarantino plays with subject material. 
mm-hmm. quite a bit, and the subject material is delicate subject subject material. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, he does that even more in his later films when it comes to Django, when it comes to Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. of like this is some dark times in human history mm-hmm. that you're dealing with mm-hmm. when it comes to obviously slavery and and when, with Inglorious Bastards when it comes to Nazis and Jews and internment camps and, right. and the Holocaust. Like this is some delicate ass shit. Mm-hmm. And Tarantino kind of just threw the rule book out the door when it comes to this movie because mm-hmm. he's not afraid to tackle these subjects and to tackle these uh, horrible atrocities in, that humanity faced when it comes to Hitler and when it comes to World War II. But also playing with tone when it comes to that kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this movie, RB3? Um, I like this movie a whole lot, man. This is, you know, a lot of people consider this one Tarantino's best. Yeah. Um, I, I personally don't rank it that high. Okay. Um, because there's, there's some parts of the movie that kind of move a little too slow for me. Um, but not slow, but like just, I, I, this is like a three hour movie. So I, there's a lot to get through. And by the way, I, I feel like this is one of those movies where I could watch every single scene of it and love it. But for some reason, the way it's, all lined up together it just it's a lot for me so it's a little harder to rewatch this movie per se but i know a lot of people consider this their best tarantino film it probably is or favorite or favorite yeah from a technical standpoint i could definitely see why i mean there's the acting all across the board in this movie is insane i mean we talked about christoph waltz but even um you know even even uh homegirl who who's the main yeah um concerned. she she's in uh, everything she's uh, uh melanie lorenz melanie yes yes uh she is nuts in this movie and um and brad pitt playing the kentucky sergeant and like this, hey, you know, it gives. But that's it, also with tone too, because he's so over the top in this movie. Right, right, but it works. You know what I mean, and and all of that. So I don't know. I just feel like it's it's a very over the top war film. It's almost you know it it, it kind of fits in the mode of Tarantino doing the revenge fantasies that he's been doing throughout his career, whether that's uh, whether that's Kill Bill or Death Proof, and and now this is also a revenge fantasy. And of course, we're going to talk about Django also in that series. Um, but yeah, just it does it does all that and. Um, the chick from I'm sorry, and the other chick who's in um who's in blue is the warmest color as well. Who's like who who's also the main, who's also another main female character. Is that the same girl who we mentioned before? Or? I I don't know. Uh, I think so, but I'm not sure. She's uh, uh um Leah something. Diane Kruger. Diane Kruger. Okay, and maybe it was the chick we mentioned before. I don't know, but either way, um the chick I shouldn't say a chick. The woman. That we mentioned before, Diane. Uh, I think it was Diane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but either way, yeah. Um, all all of these parts in this movie uh, have, fulfill something very special and meaningful. I feel like through uh, through each individual storyline has a full arc that means a lot to to a lot of these characters. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Ace? What's... No, I, to be honest, man. If I'm really being honest, this is one of my favorite Tarantino movies. If mm. not my favorite, it's hard to pick a favorite, but this is probably my favorite all right you're going to it going because i remember watching this for the first time and thinking man this is dope Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i loved it first time watching it um yeah for me this holds what i said before on the previous films when it comes to tension i don't think tarantino does it any better than this movie like Mm -hmm. the way well obviously he does some great stuff in django too um but t- the tension stuff in this movie is so crazy. Like, obviously, the opening. Even the opening, to yeah. me, is, like, 
that's tough to do to build that kind of tension. Amazing, yeah. Um, but even the scene, obviously the big, the famous scene that a lot of people talk about is the scene where uh, Michael Fassbender's character. Here you go. Another another thing, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> yeah. The greatness of Michael Fassbender coming to fruition in this film, even in his small. 10 minute part but that 10 minute part is like the best part of the movie mm-hmm. in my opinion it's, it's the we were playing the King Kong like mm-hmm. the head game yeah 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 and then yeah. the whole tension that builds between the shootout that eventually happens and when he does the the three beers mm-hmm. um, cause um, I think Fassbender is like part German or something like that and that's mm-hmm. why he knows German so well mm-hmm. um, but that scene's amazing the fact that Mike Myers is in this movie <laughs> yeah Mike Myers comes in for like yeah. a small little part um yeah, and to me, Christoph Waltz steals this movie quite a bit when he plays again with tone when it comes to his interactions with different characters. And the fact that the scene where he's learning the names of of um, of the different Italian names that, that mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's crew has. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, Briano Borcini. And he's like, no, 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 say it again, say it again. Borcini, huh? Briano Borcini. He's almost like taunting them. Mm-hmm. Like he <laughs> knows, he knows. He knows, yeah, and he's yeah. like taunting them. But was like, say it like this. Oh, oh, that's very much more Italian. He's like, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like taunting them because he knows they're playing. Especially Brad, Brad Pitt with his yeah. huge accent. Grazie. So <laughs> Grazie. <laughs> to me, that's hysterical. I don't yeah, know, man. That yeah. to me is is so funny, to the point that it just makes me laugh every time I see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brad Pitt's character makes me laugh every time I see his character. The introduction of Eli Roth's character is so mm-hmm. insane and over the top. The the Jew, ba- was it the bear? The bear Jew? Yeah, bear I was Jew. gonna say Jew bear. <laughs> it's another scene that to me is just very comedic. To me, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be very opposing. Um, his character is but mm-hmm. at the same time it's like to me it's funny right um and obviously the finale of the movie and the way that it's shot is so <laughs> over the top yeah. the the theater massacre is what i'm referring to right right, right. um with the close-ups on on the characters that we've met previously mm-hmm. um i don't know i just love it i think it's crazy i think it's it's crazy how we can go from the ending of that insane thing that's happening mm-hmm. to where we came previously with the scene in the diner, not the diner, the bar that's going on too, mm-hmm. is is so funny to see the contrast between the two types of tones that Tarantino's playing with in mm-hmm. this movie. And I guess that's why it's probably one of, if not my favorite, Tarantino movie. Right, right, right. No, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of really cool sequences in this movie, really cool action, and a, a lot of really awesome moments. Like when you get an introduction to the to uh, the crew when you first meet them, like and 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 uh, when they're breaking out of jail or when they're being broken out of jail, and it's like dun dun dun, and then it cuts like individual title cards for each character or whatever. Uh, I think that's really fun and, and creative. And he does a lot. He play he plays with like you say he plays with a lot of different tones. I think that's what Tarantino's best at. You know he I know he mentioned a lot of times he considers himself very influenced by hip hop, right? And the fact that he mixes and matches a lot of different genres and samples a lot of different movies and kind of puts it together and makes his own thing. Um, when he does, and, and I think this is a prime example of that, where it is a revenge fantasy while also being a World War II movie, but also taking influence from um, American movies, Italian movies, uh, foreign movies with those old war documentaries that used to come out uh, that were very prevalent at the time. And that's what they're kind of spoofing with the documentary towards the end. 
Uh, so all of that just is just in combination. Just I forgot really about that. that. Yeah. I forgot about the movie they're watching. The crazy sniper guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The German sniper dude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just really enjoy it. Um, and shout out to Sam Levine. Hey. Yeah, that's right. Sam Levine is in this movie. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a showdown connection right there. What was uh who man who he he was he was part of the crew. But He's part of the I, crew. I can't remember uh, exactly. I don't know his name. He had it's a good part in there though. Uh, Hitchburg. 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 Yeah. Um shout out to Sam Levy, man. Yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Um yeah, I, I, I do love the country landscape that they con- that they capture a lot with the European sure. since they do cover a lot of like the racism, the kind of blanket hatred that was happening. And and also the, the different the, the funny I mean obviously the French mm-hmm. play a huge part in this with the character I forget her name in this right. movie, but uh, the opinion of the French versus the opinion of cuz in that time period, France was still known for its crazy art and stuff, and how the Nazis were kind of taking that right. culture right. away from France. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gnarly what the Nazis were doing, but and also Christoph Waltz's interpretation of the situation that's going on with his character and, and how he can manipulate the situation to the point where he gets what he wants or he's trying to get what he wants. Um, to the super southern, you know, Brad Pitt, to the, right. uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the German, the, the, uh, the black girl. The half, and also the half black, uh, or the black French dude who's, uh, who also projects the wheels. And also, isn't that, it's interesting how it's another example of self-reflectiveness in uh, Tarantino movies that the movie theater literally has to be set on fire to kill Hitler. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're seeing something that, it's so impossible and so unrealistic that we have to burn the movie theater down to get to that point using actual old film. And it kind of transitions from um, the older uh, tools of cinema into the new and how, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. there's a lot to say. It has a lot to say. Yeah. For sure. Um, let's move on to Django Unchained, which came out in 2012. Holy crap. Yeah. 2012, man. Yeah. That That's... was a freshman in high school. Oh, my God. Damn it, RB3. I'm starting to like you, man. <laughs> it's like the one thing that takes me off. I was a sophomore, actually, when this came out. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Either High way, school. that's too much, man. I, yeah. was, I think I was a sophomore in like college or something. Oof. No, I was like a junior in college. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm so much older. It's crazy. Hey, man. But uh, this movie stands out quite a bit as well, mm-hmm. as far as even with tone as well, because that's what Tarantino does. And violence, mm-hmm. quite a bit in this movie. A lot of violence. Um, but specifically with what we were talking about before, when it comes to, you know, putting on the gloves of, you know, handle with care, and he Tarantino takes off those gloves mm-hmm. and throws around that box <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. says handle with care. When it comes to slavery, mm-hmm. when it comes to the South, and when it comes to the KKK, and when it comes to uh, slave owners, like he just gives no shits. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if you would agree with that right, when right. it comes to this movie, but when it comes to his, obviously I'm not saying it's a positive portrayal, but it's a portrayal nonetheless. Right, right, and, right. And the fact that it's coming from a white director versus the difference that we see from, like we talked about 12 Years a Slave with Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't Steve McQueen. <laughs> right, right, right. This right. is Quentin Tarantino doing a revenge fantasy slave movie. Yeah, a, tie, a, a spaghetti western. Spaghetti western, right, 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 you know, right. type movie. And the fact that this movie can have so many comedic moments, specifically the one that stands out to me that I can't deny how funny it is, is the Jonah Hill 
Yeah. See. Oh, man. Is right? That's Isn't that nuts. hysterical? It's crazy how funny I that can't is. see out these eye holes. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sure she had great intentions and that she was really sweet, but I think we should all agree and just not use these masks. <laughs> the yeah. fact that they're. <laughs> and it goes on for like 10 minutes. It's like, who votes to ride out the bags? Me, <laughs> me, me. It's like, wait, hold up, goddammit. We're not going without these bags or something. Like, so funny, man. And it's like, you know what, guys? I've had enough. <laughs> that was my wife. She put in time and work. Like, the fact that it keeps going, man. <laughs> man, fuck y'all. I just love that line, too. I love that line, too. Um, yeah, this movie, got, this, movie got, this movie has a lot of really sincerely funny moments. But it also has uh, horrifying moments. Yeah, yeah. The, I forget her name. Broomhilda. No, the girl who plays Jimmy Fox's uh, Olivia. What's her name? Which one? Oh, Carrie Washington? Carrie Washington. Oh, my God. I can't believe I couldn't. Yeah. I was going to say freaking from that TV show, the ABC Scandal. TV show. Yeah. Scandal. Jesus. I mean, what's wrong with me? Um, the Carrie Washington scene where she's getting, like, dragged and shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is dark. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. very dark. And then Jamie Foxx's realization that that's, you know, who has his wife kind of thing. Right. Or even Leonardo DiCaprio stuff is very dark. Yeah. Even though it, it pairs in with like the way it's shot with the snap zoom when mm-hmm. you first meet him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when he's smoking and turns around and the, the super zoom that goes in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even that, it's like you're just like that snap zoom is very much like playing with tone as far as like this is so silly and over the top. Mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio's character is at least. Um, but then they had the Mandingo fighting happening at the same time, which is like a very disturbing as. Frick, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I that to me is like, oh my god, this is disgusting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just so many different things, but but it's at the end of the day, it becomes one of those things where it's like a free black man getting his revenge on mm-hmm. uh, the people who did that to him, and that kind Enslaved of slaved them, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and it and it and it plays in with that, even to the point that I I I kind of feel this is me. Don't take it the wrong way, but Christoph Waltz was kind of taking this movie. Uh, for me personally in the beginning, but Jamie Foxx obviously comes into fruition a little bit later in the movie. Mm-hmm. But at first, Christoph Waltz, man, he's a baller in this movie. I think he won an Oscar for this too, right? Um, I think so, yeah. I think he won its Best Supporting Actor Best for this movie. Actor, yeah. um, and it's one of those things because he's a gangster in this movie. <laughs> he's just dope. And he's showing uh, Jamie Foxx's character the ways of a bounty hunter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the fact when, when he first kills that that sheriff mm-hmm. and when he's like I have the paper as if it's okay <laughs> right right right, right, right. <laughs> he still shot the guy in the middle of the street right? <laughs> like it's just I don't know I think he's great in this movie in the fact that he's helping out um, mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx's character is great mm-hmm. um, and obviously the KKK explosion to like all that stuff is right, 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 a right, lot right. of fun for me personally mm-hmm. watching this movie mm-hmm. um, and the best line in any Tarantino movie in my opinion is in this movie too uh, Which one's that? Uh, I like the way you die, boy. I was like, oh, it's the most hype yeah. line in all. I think that's the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might mm-hmm. be misquoting it, but I'm pretty sure that's it. And it's like, or it's like, I like to watch you die, boy. And yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. It's, that's it's, the it's coolest. I like the way you die, boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's the coolest. Don't you? I don't know if yeah, you agree with that. Line. Yeah, that's, that's the line. dopest. That's like a mic drop right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where it's just like, I love quoting that. I quote that all the time now. Yeah. Um, so for me, I don't know. That's the biggest takeaway I have from this movie. But watching it for you, I don't know if you already watched this one recently or at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this movie as far as like on a, on a general scale? Well, first off, I gotta say, I remember when Django came out. This was a movie that moved me so much. I saw it four times in theaters, Shit. potentially five. 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't remember if the fifth time is like a full full watch or I left halfway through or whatever. Just, but the, I mean, this movie literally like this was my obsession like when I was like in high school. You know what I mean? And I have it on Blu-ray. I've watched it a bunch of times there. And overall, I mean, this is probably one of the most flavorful Tarantino movies. You think it's your favorite? Not not one of my favorite. I mean, I probably still put Pulp Fiction as my number one. Um, this is probably my number two, or if, if not, Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs might be number two. And I mean, this and Reservoir Dogs kind of switch up every now and then. Sure. This is probably a much. This is a much bigger movie with a much bigger scope, and has a very wide story and has a lot of story to tell. Um, and has a lot of characters that we meet and interact with a lot more than we have in Reservoir Dogs. So it's a lot more. Um, I don't know if all of this movie hits as hard as to me that Reservoir Dogs, but as Reservoir Dogs does. But this movie does highlight one of the key things I think that a lot of people overlook is the severity of the racism in the American South during that time. Uh, I know it's a very controversial thing when um, this movie came out and the N-word was being thrown around left and right. It's, I think this holds the record for the most N-words in, in a major movie or whatever. Um, but, I mean, what do you want him to do? Like, not be accurate to the time period? Like, at that time, everybody was just throwing that around because they are using that word to keep black people down. Um, but in this movie, it's kind of used, um, not used in that sense, but it's used as a word to keep putting these slaves down. But it's in the way that um, the African-American community has reappropriated it as um, as a term of our own and, and a term of endearment within our community, um, it, this movie kind of flips and becomes a movie about um, reclaiming what's, what, what's yours. Not just your wife, but um, your dignity, your honor, um, being stood in the face with you know the, the slave owners who are enslaving your people and taking that back from, 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 those, from, from, those ev- from the evils that are implementing slavery. It's just all of that. Um, is very prominent in this movie, and I feel like that's the biggest theme that comes out of it. It's like reclaiming, um, reclaiming your freedom, reclaiming your dignity, reclaiming your honor um, through that. So. Yeah, it's all about the, the the contrast between submission and and overcoming that submission, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dominance almost, mm-hmm. right? Because the 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 the, the submissionness of, of slavery to the point of the count the contrast with Jamie Foxx's character as now being the, the dominance almost being the the alpha he's better than white people mm-hmm. he's he's bigger than white people he's stronger than white people he's smarter than white people he's faster you see what i'm saying like it's not it, it, in slavery they were seen as less than and now in this movie Jamie Foxx's character is more than he's he's you know you know what i'm saying like even the shootout he's like he's better than any white dude trying to shoot at him mm-hmm. it's 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 reclaiming not just equality with white people, but dominance. Like, I'm the shit. I'm better than you, and I can do the shit that you can't even match type mm-hmm. of stuff. I don't yeah. know if you would agree with that, but that to me is kind of what what he's what he's saying at the end of the movie as well. Yeah, right. No, I think I think that, yeah, I think to yeah. the point. Like even when he's when he when he manipulates the Australian dudes, I don't know what if it when yeah, Quentin Tarantino comes Tarantino, out in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, he has to put himself in the damn movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I mean, a lot of people say it, but it's so it's easily the worst part of the the, the movie. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's uh, funny though. It's super funny. It's yeah. funny. Um, just man, you gotta that. I, I don't know. Um, but um, but yeah, no, you're right. And and it, it is that whole thing of like. Oh, the genetic, genetic, genetically, black people are supposedly supposed to be superior, but inferior mentally, and that's the thing that uh, that that uh, that 
that Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Calvin Candy, is like trying to illustrate with like showing him the skull and busting it open and all that kind of stuff. He's trying to make you use this like pseudoscience, this like anti, um, this anti black science that racist. was created, yeah, racist science that was created back in the day to uh to to put um to put people of color down black people down yeah to justify um, yeah to justify slavery yeah um and yeah and and it's just interesting that 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 in this movie we see uh Django who isn't given the resources to read or write but is is taught these things he's given the same opportunity that uh he, he you know Cal, um, not Calvin Candy but Christoph Wass's character is helping him develop and, and build the the tools to at least start putting him on, putting him on an equal playing field with um, the white people, but he ends up just um, showing them out and, and killing all of them because you know that's just what needed to happen. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, it's super fascinating how um, how they use this fake science to justify the evils, and they also use religion in this movie as well too. We see that scene where. Um, where the girl's getting whipped and the dude's like reading the Bible as he's like whipping her or whatever. Um, but then that scene when Django comes in and whips the dude back, like that's just, that's just an awesome scene too. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. And the fact that even, even if he is a free man, that's questioned at every turn in the South, mm. right? When it comes to, when he shows up on the plantation, um, and he says, why is he riding that horse? And he's like, mm. no, he's a free man. He can do what he wants. Right, right. Um, that's the response that Christoph Waltz has. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that one scene when they're like at the mansion and he's like, oh, uh, how, uh, how, how am I supposed to treat him, daddy? And it's like, do I treat him like white folk? No, 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 son. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> Don't treat him like white folk. Treat him like uh, uh, the boy who lives across the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some stupid shit. Like. Or the fact that Christoph Waltz is like, I have five reasons why. And he's yeah. like, well, come on. <laughs> like the tone in his voice changes so much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like those moments are really funny i i definitely agree with that mm-hmm. yeah i mean this movie has a, has a lot to say and obviously we didn't talk about the samuel jackson character yet but the right. fact that we we have that contrast between right a lot of people will consider the uncle tom right the house the house slave as 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 commonly referred to person who's given special treatment by the master made to think that oh master cares about me master you know all that kind of sh- you know but um, but you know, and that, that's, that's also the evil that has to be overcome too, is not the evil of the white impression, the pressure, the white impressionists who are enslaving us, but it's also the impression that they leave on our people too, how we have to break out of that mindset, that mind state of, that they of, love us, that they're, we're family to them. Yeah. We're slaves. Yeah. Where they're literally mistreating us and rape, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's um, that's the thing that we learn really quickly in Twelve Years a Slave too. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. scene with Michael, not Michael, Benedict Cumberbatch. Right, 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 right. Where he's like, "Oh, he's a nice guy," but at the end of the day, he's like, "You're still less than me, and you're still a slave. Mm-hmm. So shut up." Mm-hmm. The scene with Chiwetel Ejiofor, right, right, tells right. him to run. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So all of that just goes into enhancing the overall theme of black exploitation of it being the Western and all that kind of stuff. It just all lends to the to the central theme of black people having to overcome these 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 kinds of and speaking of westerns he does another western oh hateful <laughs> that's eight. the hateful eight mm-hmm. mr rb3 uh i believe you saw this one in theaters correct yes i did saw it the 65 or 70 millimeter where'd movie. you see it that arc light me too um uh, yeah hey so this movie uh which one which arc light hollywood Okay, I saw it at the Sherman Oaks. Like, oh, Sherman Oaks. Oh, okay. Did but you show a 70 millimeter? Hmm? Sorry to cut you off. They did. Oh, nice, nice, Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. They, they even gave you a little... The booklet? Uh, booklet and the yeah. souvenir. Um, 
so this movie, I feel like almost that was almost part of the hype, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's like shot in seventy millimeter and it has an intermission in the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. and you're like, damn, <laughs> yeah, it's a three hour movie. I want to see this movie now. Yeah, I don't know. That was that was me going into the movie for sure. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were hyping the way it was presented mm-hmm. and the way it was shot, which is seventy millimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge part of the movie. And obviously, it, it plays really heavy-handedly when it comes to the way this movie is shot, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if, if you feel the same way as I do, right. but the way this movie is shot is very much like, all right, Tarantino's flexing. Obviously, mm-hmm. his DP is, you know, give credit to him, but it's one of those things where he's flexing yeah. on the way he shoots this movie, not right. just the story itself. Right, and uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name, but... It's Richard, uh, is Robert Richardson or Richard Robertson, one of those, some, some, some. I'm I look it up right now. Very recognizable name. He's won <clears throat> many Academy Awards, I think. But salute to him because the, one of the things that, that heightens Tarantino's movie so much is the cinematography, um, the back, the extensive backlight, um, the way the way the camera moves and how it's steady in, in some shots. And I, I mean, we gotta attribute that to a lot to what. Uh, what was his name? Robert Richardson. Robert Richardson. Okay, I was right. I said Richard Robertson. So, but Robert Richardson. It was close enough. Close man. enough, man. I was there. Um, fa- fantastic DP who who um, helped, uh, particularly for the case of Hateful Eight, help reinvent or help um, readapt those old school sixty five millimeter lenses. Not sixty five millimeter, but those old school lenses, those Panavision ultra, you know, ultra wide screen lenses. Um, he helped bring that back into the fold for Hateful for Hateful Eight and restore those and, and use those for modern cameras. So Yeah, uh, you see a lot too. of that specifically with the opening of the movie. Mm-hmm. The, the first 15 minutes, you mm-hmm. see, you know, the crazy... Wide shots mm-hmm. and, yeah, the, the landscape and all that stuff. Music by Ernesto Maragoni. Oscar winning, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, won Oscar. the Oscar, I believe. Yeah, won the Oscar for That's this the, movie. That's another thing that stood out to me when I was watching this movie was the score. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm watching some event film or something. Right, and then, I mean, I mean, Ernesto Maragoni is one of the best composers of all time. Did a lot of those Italian, um, the spaghetti westerns and a lot of Italian cinema <gasps> as well. And, you know, and... A lot of his music was used in Django, um, but he wasn't cool with that. And I remember like Anestio coming out like at one point, you know, when Django was out and saying he didn't approve of how Tarantino used a lot of his music. But ultimately, they came together and worked together on this movie, which is like a match made in heaven, in my and, opinion. And it's funny too because this movie wasn't was almost not made mm-hmm. because of the leak, right? The script leak, the yeah. script leak, and and Tarantino was very much upset about that to the point that he was like. I remember because that he said he was like, "I'm not even going to do it anymore because mm-hmm. the script leaked. I'm so pissed." That it leaked out, right. but he ended up doing it anyways, specifically because of the fascination that he had with Samuel L. Jackson's character. Mm. Almost, obviously, it's not connected to to Django anymore, but it's still a black, a, a, a free black man bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. That's what Django was too. Yeah. Ex soldier um, in this ex soldier in this, con- in this, in this one, context, true. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things where the time and race plays a huge hand in this movie mm-hmm. when it comes to the, the civil war right yeah, post civil war society mm-hmm. how people have to start looking at each other the confederates and the yankees and how they have to come together to some extent what's uh, the old guy uh what's his name you know who i'm talking about oh uh um, the guy who plays the the confederate uh, not confederate yeah confederate soldier yeah i know who you're talking about um he's, he's a me. famous old guy he's uh, he was in nebraska Bruce, 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 Bruce Dern. Dern. Bruce Dern, yeah. Yeah, who plays um, a Confederate old, I believe he's a general. Yeah. 
And he even like talks about Robert. Hyper racist. Hyper racist, mm-hmm. super crazy, southern dude. And the whole fact that the, even even the character of Walton Goggins, I feel like, is the biggest mm-hmm. character in this movie, besides Samuel Jackson's character, because of where he's coming from mm-hmm. and how he starts out in this movie and this type of shit that he's saying. You're almost like, man, I can't wait for this guy to get shot. Right? <laughs> right? I don't right. know about you, but that's how I felt when, when I was watching Walton Goggins' mm-hmm. character. Um, contrasting with um, what's his for, Kurt Russell Jesus I keep misnaming people contrast with Kurt Russell's character who you feel and you think is going to be the the main protagonist in the movie mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I, I don't know how do you feel about the characterizations in this movie because they're very much characterizations right I mean they're, they're, I mean, this is a movie that has it's almost like a containment thriller right and that's what they're kind of going for and I think this movie mixes a lot of tones of like western Plus comedy, plus horror. I was going to say, plus horror quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's very highly influenced by the thing, right? Like, what's this? Who's this one person who, who we can't trust in, in here, you know? Um, whereas the thing is a sci fi movie, but there's even parts of the score that were taken from, that were, unre- that were unreleased from the thing that were used in this I was going to say, it's a horror score in a way. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. really is. Like, literally, from the thing, like you said, it's a horror score. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and the fact that it comes from the composer of the thing, too, is right. kind of funny. Exactly. And, and, that's, and that's what really works with this movie, is the fact that it's so rooted in being contained and being uh, all these people trapped in this environment, they can't get out. And almost uh, to the point of like, who is the killer kind of right, feel right, in the movie. Right, like right. One of us is, it doesn't, it, that's not necessarily the story, but that's how it feels mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the whole exactly. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all, all of that in, in combination with how, um, how kind of, how, how kind of slow the movie reveals a lot of this information. And then once uh, the information is revealed, it just happens like in a snap. So then like, I know for me at least when I watched it, uh, when we watched it, it was the uh, the intermission came right after Channing Tatum shot Samuel Jackson, like in the in the in the. In the uh, I thought it came after Samuel Jackson's story, like right after his story. You're right. You're right. It did. It, 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 it did. And then he did. shoots. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and he shoots Bruce Dern. Yeah. Bruce Dern. You're right. You're right. That is where the intermission came in. Um, but it's just fascinating how like that that cutting point is where we have to question like what was really happening here because like uh, at to that point in the story we still don't know anything about Juan Goggins we don't know anything about any of these other characters except for Samuel Jackson and that, that the fact that too but the fact that we don't trust Walton Goggins when he says who he is because I believe mm-hmm. he says he's the new sheriff right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that we're like the audience is like Psh, no you're not yeah like yeah. you sound like an idiot you you super stupid like you're not the new sheriff <laughs> right. and you can't and you can't trust uh and you can't trust um samuel jackson either That's because true. you know he, he has his letter from lincoln but he, you know he's also has this yellow stripe on his back right like how it's he all, killed a bunch of people that's what i'm saying it's all about information and proving things to other people right with a mm-hmm. piece of paper or with you know a title i'm the sheriff see he, this proves it and this proves shit like it doesn't mm-hmm. prove anything or i got this letter from you know, this, I, this proves it right mm-hmm. it's one of those things like it's like you don't how easy or how not easy it is to get people to trust you or to get people not to trust you yeah i'm also like mike michael Nass in this movie for uh you know playing for having his his character being like the silent guy who like creeps off in the corner and Jennifer Jason Lee too. We haven't spoken on her, but she's obviously did like she the get a nomination for she this? did get nominated, yeah, okay. for best actress in leading role, uh, deservingly so because man, she really, 
uh, played a lot of different layers in this movie. She gets hit, kicked, punched. Uh, she uses the N word excessively. A, if it's a Tarantino <laughs> film, you know she was actually kicked. <laughs> oh god, and I actually know. punched. I don't know about that, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's funny to think of that. Yeah, yeah. Like, wow, no. this is really good acting. No, no, they actually did this on set. Whoa. <laughs> but did you hear the whole story about the whole uh, the whole guitar thing? Right, like. How they broke? No, I didn't hear that. Story. Like you know that that scene where Kurt yeah. Russell breaks the guitar. Apparently, that was a real like like 17th century post Civil War guitar that was like in this museum that they that borrowed from the movie. And then Kurt Russell got so into this because they were supposed to cut after she sung, and then they were gonna replace it with the fake guitar. But Kurt Russell got so into it, he just smashed it. And like there's this big backlash by like the music community for like Tarantino like destroying a musical <laughs> artifact. You know. <laughs> And then, really, honestly, go back, watch that scene, and you look at, her, at Jennifer Jason Lee's face. She stops. Act, she literally stops acting. She's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" Like, so it's just funny, you know. Uh, That's hysterical. Yeah, That's yeah. That's so funny. I mean, obviously, another thing that plays into this movie, besides titles and besides who people are, mm-hmm. is time. Yeah, flashbacks of specifically Samuel Jackson's scene, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and that's the first thing I took from that scene, which is crazy and insane. Mm-hmm. The Samuel Jackson story, right? Um, after the intermission, as soon as the intermission hit, I turned to my friend who was watching the movie with me, and I was like, "Was that all just a made-up story? Right, right, right. <laughs> that he did in order to shoot the general? Mm-hmm. Is that what you took from it?" Um, I, I thought about that, but I just That's thought, first, I was like this, he literally made that whole thing up just so he can shoot him. Cause he knew he would get the rage to shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Self-defense. I don't know, man. I just love the whole like skull fucking, <laughs> he literally had, he, he said he had him bent over and naked in the snow. Oh man, that, that's crazy, man. That's messed up. I mean, nothing wrong with. I mean, you know, nothing this wrong with Tarantino the actor doing, self, man. It's just doing, like Tarantino, like doing Tarantino, going Tarantino super does. hard on like disrespect. What I just told you, I forgot like twenty minutes ago. I was like, Tarantino, it's like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's he kills or rapes and blood, and he just meshes so many disturbing things to the point that I'm like, we get it. Right, 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 right. It's nuts, man. Yeah, yeah. that's the Tarantino way, man. And the fact that it's like a 15 minute intermission too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to play really lets to, you sit, sit and think about it. Because he he didn't he do this as a play, right? Yeah, it was it was I don't know if it was conceived as a play, but it was performed live before. Sure, that's it was what a I meant. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so that plays a huge hand for it too. But we were talking about time that that scene, and also the whole Channing Tatum side adventure scene too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we get to see Channing Tatum act like crazy. <laughs> right, right. I his this best was, performance by far. Yeah, it is kind of his best. I was gonna one, say it is kind best. of his best performance that, by far. That and Magic Mike, if you haven't seen Magic. That Mike. and Twenty Two Jump Street. If you guys <laughs> I love. I still said it the other day where I was like, best part one and part two, Godfather one and two, Twenty One and Twenty Two. People think I'm joking when I say that, but I mean that. Hey, where are we putting the Magic Mike films at? That's where we gotta rank them. You know what I mean? One and two. I guess, uh, but uh, but yeah, and Channing Tatum's best best role ever. Um, this movie is also really sadistic too, man. The fact that, <laughs> I don't know, isn't it? Yeah. Do you feel that way? I feel that way. I was like, Definitely. man, this is kind of, especially the ending, right? Yeah. But the ending is supposed to say, look at Samuel Jackson's character, mm. look at Walton Goggins' character, two people that will never work together in anything and will never trust each other. Yet for a moment, mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. realizing who Jennifer Jason Lee actually is right. and taking joy and torturing her in the horrible, most way possible. Right. Um, and realizing by hanging it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's one of those things where 
two people from different backgrounds can come together. I don't know. That to me was like the biggest point of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And in a very obvious way. I don't know if that's what you took away right, from it. Right, right, right. And they even get connected by the the Lincoln letter, the lie at the end that, you know, both of these characters, we don't know if he's the real sheriff, we don't know if that Lincoln letter, you know, Lincoln letter is obviously not real, but the the lie and the conception of the lie is what's most important in, in mending that. So it's it's, it's almost the, it's almost the the Atlanta episode where mm. it's like it's like the the Confederate flag, South people, right, right, but they're like, right. ah, yo, that hip hop is dope, bro, right, 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 right or, or right. even the scene where it's like guns, bro, yo, guns, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that the weird connection, connection, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. you wouldn't think would ever occur, right, occurs. And, and Walton Gawkins' character, who, in my opinion, like steals this movie. I think he's the best part of the movie, in my yeah, opinion. Right. Um, but speaking of performances, Samuel Jackson, a lot of people were like, oh, Samuel Jackson's great in this movie. And then for some reason got a little bit of backlash where Samuel Jackson's playing Samuel Jackson in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but what do you, what's your, do you think Oscar winning or Oscar performing Samuel Jackson? Or, eh, he's... Still playing Samuel Jackson. No, I mean, this is definitely one of Samuel Jackson's best performances. I agree. And it's probably one of his biggest performances, honestly, like in terms of time, screen time, and the scope of emotions that he has to go through because it has to be super sinister, super calming, super, super funny. Yeah, super funny, super witty. Um, also deliver the great monologues, but also get like feel the violent pain of like getting shot in the nuts. You know what I mean? Which, by the way, a lot of people say screaming is not acting. That is, you know, to some extent, that's acting. It you know is. What I mean? It's physical like, acting. Yeah, that's what yeah. what we talked about last week with The Revenant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're feeling pain, you're still going to act. Right, 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 right. And, I mean, Samuel Jackson. I mean, just all around, he does the movie. I mean, overall, overall in this movie, he, he goes in a lot of places that a lot of Samuel Jackson performances go. In individual movies, he kind of puts them all together in this. So, I definitely think it's one of his finer moments out. Yeah, I, I also remember the fact that when he's when he's talking to um, the people, when he's talking to them, and he's like, everyone knows that many don't serve no Mexicans. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I'm Mexican, and I was cracking up. <laughs> said, but the way he, he says Mexicans. Mexicans. He's like, he, he says it with not an X, but with an S. Yeah. It's like, everyone knows she don't like no Mexicans. <laughs> no, what, what did he say? He was like, he was like he, uh, she used to have a sign on the wall yeah. that said, no dogs, no Mexicans. Guess why she took it down? She started allowing in dogs. <laughs> I laughed very hard. And the fact that What's-His-Face is a walking stereotype, too. The the Latino in this movie, I forget his name, the Mexican actor who's super oh, famous right. in Mexico. Um, da- Damien, um, uh, Damien something. Damien Beer or Blair? Uh, I forget his name. Uh, why is he not in the front? He's not in the... He should be there somewhere. I don't know. Is uh, it Mex and Bob? Right, he plays Mex and Bob. Uh, is it this guy? Nah, it's James Parks. Uh, where the hell is he? Uh, we're leaving this all in, by the way, people. As we uh, sorry, we... no, we're not. We're gonna cut it. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, Damien Blit. You pronounce it. I'm not. I'm not even gonna try, <laughs> man. Uh, Damien Bichir, Bichir, Bichir. Um. The fact that the whole movie, he's just like a walking... It's like, what do you think about that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's like Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel Live. Right, right, right. <laughs> he just says, yes, yes. It's like Mexican accent. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. see? <laughs> like the whole movie, he says that. And he still makes me laugh, but it's just funny. Yeah. Um, that scene and the, and the scene where 
where uh, Jennifer Jason Lee goes, Jesus Christ. He's like, oh, you Christian now, <laughs> quoting Jesus Christ. You can't say no Jesus Christ. Like when, he starts to, like when Samuel Jackson does that, <laughs> yeah. I started cracking up so hard. <laughs> He's like, you found the Lord now. <laughs> that, that was so funny to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And this movie has a lot of funny moments, a lot of violent moments. Um, but at the same time, it just, I don't know. I think it worked. It's very much a sadistic movie, but at the same time, it's its in line with the Tarantino way. Um, where would you put this one? Would you put it more in the middle, towards the end? Uh, more in the middle, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he has so many fantastic movies that doesn't put anything top, bottom, you know what I mean? Um, and for a lot of people, you know, when we talk about something like Death Proof or, you know, for me, Kill Bill Volume 2, like, for, you know, those are, for... Those are his weaker movies, but for a lot of directors, those would be the best films in their filmography. So uh, the fact that Tarantino uh, has such a wide variety of films and they're all super excellent just goes to speak to how brilliant of a writer-director he is. Yeah, and it's also, we, we didn't talk about as much in the dialogue in this movie, but obviously it's a Tarantino dialogue that we expect. And mm-hmm. It's super crazy, witty, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really incredibly well done, and it holds the story together because, like you said, it's a containment film for the most part. Right. It's like all kind of in one location. So it has to be reliant on the acting. Right, right, and the dialogue that goes with that acting. Right. So you know, props to Tarantino and props to him for giving Walton Goggins his best performance because Walton Goggins is a crazy, crazy good actor. Yeah, like he's super good. Um, let's finish up by talking about how Tarantino said he's only going to do ten movies and then retire. Yeah. Um, what? This one's eight, right? Yes. This one's eight. I yeah, think? technically, I might be because I think Kill Bill is supposed to be one. Um, or it could be nine. I don't know, but either way. Tarantino says he wants to do only those 10 films and then retire. Yeah. What do you think about that? Ah, he's not going to retire. You think it's bullshit? Nah. I don't know if it's bullshit, but he might do something else. Like, he might do TV. Well, he said he, he, he kind of wants to get into uh, playwrights and stuff. Right. I mean, I could see that. I mean, play. Yeah. I mean, this is a playwright here almost. Hateful Eight it to is, some yeah. Extent. Yeah, but, I mean, that'd be interesting. I mean, you know, I, I same thing. Steven Soderbergh said he retired, and now he's back to making <laughs> big movies again. I mean... It's. I feel like with any artist, it's just not you know saying you're retired doesn't mean you're actually retired. But his reasoning is kind of funny too, because he says his reasoning is the fact that after a while you start to not get as good anymore. You mm. start, it's like the it's the it's the uh, it's the Brett Favre effect. Right. It's the fact that it's like I'm 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 never gonna be as great as when I just drop the mic and retire and and ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Where people won't be like, oh, he got a little too mm-hmm. like, washed at the exactly. end. Exactly, yeah. he got washed out. He got he's like he's too he's playing in the field where he was good at before, but now he's just trying too hard. Yeah. That's his whole reasoning for it. Right, 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 right. No, absolutely, and that's what it's all about. And I mean, salute him for doing that. I mean, there's directors who tried to retire um, on a high note, but like their high note was really not a high note. So for, you know, I guess his last two, I'm guessing, are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and apparently a new Star Trek. <laughs> I don't think he's directing that, is he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he commissioned a writer wait. for it. And... I'll wait for Paramount to confirm. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, but if he, if he directs, hey, listen, if he directs a Star Trek movie, I'm seeing that shit midnight the night before. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But then, then again, any Star Trek movie I'll probably watch right away. Um, I'm not a big Star Trek guy. Me neither, but I'll still watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Opening night. Uh, anyways, guys, that was our conversation with Quentin Tarantino. He's a long one, obviously, but at the same time, he's a he's a you know, 
know, well-known director. So. Yeah, we pushed through like nine, eight movies. And yeah. Like Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Hopefully you guys leave us some comments on like last week. I'm just kidding. Um, either way, guys, let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what your favorite Tarantino movie is. Let us know what your least favorite Tarantino movie is. Let us know what you think of him as a person, as a personality in Hollywood. Uh, what did you think of the conversation? The comment section down below. That's what it's for. Either way, guys, for the Mean Enough Podcast, I'm Ace. This is RB3. And we are peacing out, guys. Peace out.